You ready? 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 One, two, three, four! podcast features views and opinions that are not representative of the collective views of the Whispers groups. Some of these views may not be suitable for children. 
Accordingly, the producers and hosts of the Missy AE podcast must insist that no one attempt to take anything that is being said as representative of the views of any of the Whispers groups. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Missy AE podcast. Tonight, we bring to you Sports Whispers Weekly, where we talk nothing but sports for the duration of the show. First off, the uh, the, the Missy AE podcast would like to wish everybody a happy Easter I know it's Easter weekend, so people may have uh, people may have plans going on right now. Uh, not sure, not sure if anybody will join me tonight. Uh, we will find out. Uh, however, though, this will be put on the archives anyway, so anybody who misses out will be able to listen to this afterwards. Uh, we have a lot to get to this week. We have, of course, WrestleMania 39 took place last this past week. A two-night event, which broke records, apparently, according to the WWE. This is perhaps the biggest performing WrestleMania of all time. Uh, We have UConn taking home March Madness. We will discuss that. We also have Mac Jones potentially being put on the trade block by the New England Patriots. Has Bill Belichick indeed lost his mind? And also, a huge blockbuster announcement earlier this week, which, quite frankly, will probably change the landscape of the sports entertainment world. We'll, of course, talk about that. But first, let's get to WrestleMania. Obviously, we discussed a little bit of Wrestle, about WrestleMania last week because we were live on the air as night one was taking place. Just to do a quick rundown here of night one, it started off with Austin Theory successfully defending his WWE United States Championship against John Cena, WWE legend John Cena, by pinfall in a match that went up just about 11 and a half minutes. And honestly, I I got to tell you, I was very surprised that Austin Theory seemingly won with with with, with no uh, you know, there wasn't really any problem against Cena. This is this is the first time I think since John Cena entered the main event level status that catapulted him into into superstar status in WWE history. This is the first match, I believe, where John Cena honestly looked pedestrian. It, it was almost as if Austin Theory was on another complete different level than John Cena. And Theory ultimately successfully defended his championship. And obviously, this was a passing of the torch moment, many people would say. Because the whole entire build-up to this match, everybody was looking at, was, was looking at, John, uh, at Austin Theory and saying that he's not ready he's you know he's not the guy uh he he's not ready to be the guy and 
they made that a point to have John Cena reiterate that throughout the entire build-up to this match. However, Austin Theory, well, let's put it this way. John Cena, he was able to do the five-knuckle shuffle, could not put John or could not put Austin Theory in the FU or the attitude adjustment as they call it now. And thus Austin Theory successfully retained his championship. Which to be perfectly honest, obviously it was the right thing to do. I mean there were there were some questions, you know, would WWE put the title on Cena for for two nights just so that he could host an open challenge on Raw the the very next Monday, a couple a couple nights later, and then end up dropping the belt to maybe somebody returning or a debut from NXT or maybe a debut from outside of the WWE, but nope, they went with Austin Theory. And Austin Theory ended up hanging on to his championship, which, in all honesty, that was probably the right move to make. Because, let's face it, as the next potential John Cena, and at least in management's eyes, I mean, there there are some bits and pieces of what John Cena used to be in Austin Theory. Back when John Cena was first starting out, uh, you know, the whole ruthless aggression moniker, there are bits and pieces of him in Austin Theory. Austin Theory, though, still has a long way to go before he can ever be considered in the same stratosphere as John Cena was. However, Austin Theory, his title reign is currently at 134 days and counting. So... You know, it's entire. Maybe perhaps this win over Cena, Cena giving him the rub at WrestleMania, will ultimately help him in the future. Which, by God, I you know I hope so. When you consider the fact that the WWE is struggling to create new stars so much that 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 in in most recent years they've had to bring back people like Goldberg, Brock Lesnar. John Cena. They've had to bring back past stars. They even had Trish Stratus and Lita on WrestleMania this year. And a big part of it is obviously because they've been struggling to create new stars. Now the question is, obviously, you know, Triple H has been running the show, or so we think he's been running the show quite frankly, uh, ever since Vince McMahon stepped away. However, though, that may have possibly changed when we talk about night two in a little bit here. However, night one, it, it definitely had a Triple H feel. For the first time, I think, for the first time in a while, I think fans were actually genuinely intrigued by what we were about to see in the in in this year's WrestleMania there was a lot of hype a lot of build up and I will tell you right now night 1 definitely lived up to the hype setting the bar really really high for night 2 
Now, in our second match in night one, which saw the Street Profits, Angelo Dawkins and Montez Ford, defeat the teams of Braun Strowman and Ricochet, Alpha Academy, comprised of Chad Gable and Otis, and the Viking Raiders, Eric and Ivar, with Valhalla at ringside. The Street Profits defeated those three teams by pinfall in what they were dubbing a WrestleMania Showcase Fatal 4-Way Tag Team Match. And this lasted about eight and a half minutes. Now, the belief is that the winner of this match and also the winner of the women's match, which would take place on night two, would be in line for a future WWE Tag Team Championship match, which obviously so far hasn't happened because obviously uh, this past Monday night on Raw, we did see the Street Profits face Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, which obviously we will a little bit of a spoiler there. Kevin Zayn and or Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn were the new tag team champions, defeating the Usos earlier or later on that night. So with the Street Profits winning at WrestleMania and then losing the ver- uh, a couple nights later on Raw to the Tag Team Champions, it's led people to question, are they really the next tag team in line? Because obviously if they were, wouldn't that have been technically set for the tag team titles? Well, there's going to be more to talk about on that a little bit later because – how should I put this? It's it's looking very grim right now amongst talents within the WWE. Our next matchup saw Seth freaking Rollins defeat Logan Paul with special guest KSI dressed up in some sort of some sort of drink costume. Uh, I guess Logan Paul's energy drink or whatever or alcoholic drink. I don't I don't know what the hell it is. Uh, KSI was at ringside attempting to help Logan Paul. Seth freaking Rollins, though, defeated Logan Paul by pinfall in a match which went about 16 minutes and 15 seconds. And, you know, I've said multiple times that Logan Paul has really impressed me, and he continues to impress. Literally with almost every single match that he has, in his wrestling career, he continues to impress. And ultimately, it was more of the same here. However, the right decision was made. The WWE gave the win to Seth Rollins. And it was a very good showing, though, by Logan Paul in his second WrestleMania match in as many years. Also... One thing I love, too, is the fact that KSI comes in, has no wrestling experience whatsoever. However, he has been involved in the boxing world, but he he immediately takes a table spot where he gets he gets put through the table by Seth or by uh, by Logan Paul accidentally when Seth Rollins moves out of the way and instead puts KSI on the table. 
with Logan Paul crashing into into both KSI and the table. I thought that was a pretty a pretty good spot, uh, especially for somebody who hasn't had any experience in the wrestling industry. And ultimately, I enjoyed it. I you know so far three matches down the line here. I'm I am enjoying night one right now. Then we get into the six-woman tag team match with Trish Stratus and Lita, two WWE Hall of Famers, teaming up with Becky Lynch to defeat Damage Control, which is Bailey, Dakota Kai, and Io Sky by pinfall. And like I said, you know, it basically continues here. Uh, the it was a pretty good match. The only gripe I really have with this is obviously Lita and Becky Lynch are tag team, are women's tag team champions. And let's just put it this way. The, the age really showed on Lita in terms of, in terms of how she moves around the ring. It, It almost looked like, at times, she was moving in slow motion. And let's be perfectly honest here. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of cringeworthy for, for fans of the early 2000s like myself, fans of the Attitude Era, to watch some of our favorite stars of that bygone era. And have them not be able to to live up to the stars that they once were. Trish Stratus looked great. You know, she looked like may, maybe she had a little bit of a little bit of ring rust, but she looked like she could still get she could still move around, move around a wrestling ring. And obviously Becky Lynch, you know Becky Lynch is she's considered the man for a reason and ultimately we saw Becky, you know, Becky Lynch, Trish Stratus, and Lita defeat Damage Control. However, Bailey did not show up a couple nights later on Raw when Damage Control were in action, which begs the question, is Bailey done with Damage Control? That's something to potentially look at later on down the line here because there's been quite a few rewrites, I guess we could call it, and maybe not for the maybe not for the for the good of WWE. Hopefully that hopefully she just needed a week off or something, and she's back on Monday night next week. Our fifth match of the night, we had the father versus son match with Rey Mysterio defeating his son Dominic Mysterio by pinfall. Uh, about a 15-minute match, and obviously the Judgment Day and the newly formed Latino World Order got involved. And I, you know, I'll say it's a, it's a great way for them to get to bring back the Latino World Order, the LWO, which all the way back in the day, uh, back in WCW was all about you know you know how they how they had the NWO coming up and 
basically, basically what they what they ended up doing was creating different branches of the New World Order. They had the NWO Japan version over over in Japan, which uh, primarily I believe performed on on different Japanese wrestling uh, shows. They also had the Latino World Order, which at the time had Eddie Guerrero, uh, Rey Mysterio Jr., Juventud Guerrera, among others, uh, Cicosis, La Parca, and and other various members. The WWE, right before WrestleMania, they decided to revive the Latino World Order, led by Rey Mysterio, and he decided to bring in the members of Legado del Fantasma, that being Santos Escobar, Joaquin Wilde, Cruz del Toro, and Zelina Vega, to officially reform the Latino world order. This essentially gave Rey Mysterio the backup that he needed to combat the Judgment Day and ultimately held the Judgment Day at bay Rey Mysterio defeats Dominic Mysterio, and I got to tell you, Dominic Mysterio may be one of the one of the biggest heels I think I've I've seen in quite some time. And I'm not just talking, you know, force heels. I'm talking crowds legitimately despise Dominic Mysterio with the story that they've told of him betraying his father and joining uh, the Judgment Day, the crowds absolutely despise Dominic Mysterio. He may be one of the biggest modern-day heels in the wrestling industry, if not the biggest modern-day heel. All in all, they have done a great job building, slowly building Dominic Mysterio into a star. And I think obviously with more time, Dom will become an even bigger will become an even bigger star in the WWE. And who knows? Maybe he will follow in the footsteps of his father eventually. Maybe he will become world champion down the line potentially. However, for a guy who was rookie of the year in twenty twenty by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, uh he's also a former SmackDown tag team champion with his father Ray. Ever since Dominic Mysterio joined the Judgment Day, he has had a whole bunch of momentum headed his way. So don't take him losing at WrestleMania as a sign of him taking a step backwards. In my opinion, that's far from it. There's nothing nothing but good things ahead for Dominic Mysterio, I feel. And obviously with Rey Mysterio... Uh, just recently being inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame last week. He's likely headed on his his last couple of last couple of months potentially from all indications here in the wrestling industry as an active performer. And what better way than to have a long term feud with his son on, on camera while also bringing back 
a stable like the Latino world order that catapulted him to stardom. Then in our next match, which was at one point considered to be the main event for night one, we had Rhea Ripley successfully defeat women's champion Charlotte Flair for the SmackDown Women's Championship. And ultimately, what was a back-and-forth match here for about 23 and a half minutes, Rhea Ripley... They, you know, they wanted to they wanted to uh, turn Rhea into a bigger star. I believe they did so with Charlotte Flair, uh, and all indications are Charlotte Flair is going to be taking some time away from the WWE. So it all makes perfect sense as to why she dropped the belt uh, here at WrestleMania. And I mean, it, honestly, it doesn't really matter anyways if they if they really want to turn her into the female version of her father, which, you know, obviously her father, Ric Flair, had all those title reigns. All she really has to do, I I believe she's only two championship reigns away from tying her father, I think. So, uh, you know, whenever she does decide to come back, they could ultimately end up potentially putting the belt back on her. But obviously Rhea Ripley, you know, it's it was the right move for the WWE with the amount of momentum that Rhea Ripley has been having with the Judgment Day, being a part of the Judgment Day. It was the right move to make uh, with Rhea Ripley. And I believe this makes her a Grand Slam champion now, now that she has won the SmackDown women's title. Uh, she has now, since being in WWE, she has held the women's ti- the Raw Women's title, the SmackDown Women's title, the Women's Tag Team Championships with uh, with Nikki Ash at the time. Although now she's back to being Nikki Cross, uh, she has also held the NXT Women's Championship and the NXT UK Women's Championship not to mention also being the winner of the Women's Royal Rumble this year. So it it has been one hell of a WWE career so far for Rhea Ripley. And from all indications, with the plans that are seemingly in line for Rhea, it looks like she is literally just getting started, especially being a part of uh, of the Judgment Day. Then we had a little bit of uh, we had a little segment with the Miz and Snoop Dogg as the hosts of WrestleMania. Pat McAfee makes a surprise return. He has a quick match with the Miz, who isn't even dressed up uh, to wrestle. He's dressed in what he what he deemed a ten thousand dollar suit. Uh, Pat McAfee ended up defeating the Miz in about a little less than four minutes. Uh, you know, I guess I guess I guess it was their way of uh, of adding a little bit of filler. I can't really complain. It's uh, obviously, you know, I wish I I wish we would have seen Bobby uh, Bobby Lashley versus LA Knight, which apparently was planned for one of the two nights at WrestleMania, but of course never happened. Uh, I 
feel it was a waste of time or it was a wasted opportunity by WWE, but you know, there's a reason why I'm not a booker and uh and those who are currently working for the WWE are bookers. So our next matchup, which was the main event for night one, and obviously the one of the two stories that had perhaps the most story behind it. Uh, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn defeat the Usos by pinfall in a 24-minute and 15-second match for the undisputed WWE Tag Team Championships. And might I add, uh, this was a record-breaking championship win as the Usos had held the titles, specifically the SmackDown Tag Team Championships, for a combined for for a 622 day reign, which was record setting, not just for the the SmackDown Tag Team Championships, but record setting overall for any WWE version of the tag team titles, dating all the way back to when the WWE Tag Team Titles were first introduced. Nobody has had a reign like the Usos just had. And obviously this match goes even deeper when you consider the fact that Sami Zayn had been a part of the bloodline, which has been arguably, you know, the the biggest uh, or one of the biggest wrestling stables in quite some time. And they've pretty much dominated the wrestling storylines for the last couple of years. And ultimately this one was a slow burn. You know, ever I think people were still kind of pissed off that Sami Zayn didn't win the title from Roman Reigns. However, his story always seemed to be connected to the Usos, in particular Jey Uso. Uh as the Usos were the ones that, you know, they ultimately were responsible for bringing him into the WWE, or or not WWE, but bringing him into uh, the bloodline. And in particular, they also added in Kevin Owens, which Kevin Owens, uh, when he first came into the WWE, all the way back when, the Usos were the ones that kind of took him under their wing because they had been in the WWE for a couple of months or for a couple of years at the time. And they, they sort of added that into this, uh, into this whole, uh, this whole story here. But, you know, what's really weird or, What's what's weird and also cool at the same time here is the fact that Sami Zayn and Jey Uso have been connected the most in this whole story because it almost seems like they Jay I, I know Jey Uso uh, had mentioned that he had considered Sami Zayn to be like a brother to him 
while Sammy kept saying that that Jay and Jimmy were only being used all this time by by their cousin Roman Reigns, who of course is the tribal chief and the reigning WWE undisputed champion. However, you know this ma- this matchup saw a whole you know a whole bunch of different spots. Uh, honestly, there there was no other result that could have come from this match than the Usos dropping the tag team championships to Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. And thus, this officially makes Kevin Owens a Grand Slam champion as well because the only thing he had been missing was a tag team championship reign. So now that he has that, uh, he is officially a Grand Slam champion uh, thanks to this match. Uh, like I said, you know, that and of course that ends night one. Uh, WrestleMania was the highest grossing WWE event in history, generating a gate of $21.6 million. Uh, they also, the event also received generally positive reviews from critics who praised the undisputed tag team championship match, along with the men's WrestleMania showcase tag team match. Uh, They also praised Logan Paul and Seth Rollins, the Mysterio match, and also the Hell in a Cell match, which which takes place on night two. Uh, Also, the SmackDown Women's Championship match was lauded by critics with professional wrestling journalist Dave Meltzer calling it among the best women's matches in WWE history. And there were a couple of five-star ratings that were also given out to the matches in this year's WrestleMania. And these were actually the first WrestleMania matches, uh, in particular the Undisputed Tag Team Championship match and the Intercontinental Tag Team, or the Intercontinental Championship match, uh, which took place on night two. These two matches were the first WrestleMania matches to be awarded five stars by Dave Meltzer since all the way back in 1997 with Bret Hart against Stone Cold Steve Austin for the WWF title back at WrestleMania 13. Now on to night two. And man, oh man, when I tell you the bar was set high, was set so high by night one, I sure as hell mean it. And honestly, in just in my personal opinion, night two did not live up to the hype at all. At all. It got off extremely slow. Uh, just to start off with Brock Lesnar defeating Omos by pinfall. Uh, Omos pretty much did just two different moves the entire match. Rinse and repeat. Uh, he kept He kept repeating those two same moves. And ultimately, Brock Lesnar beat Omos with one F5 and a couple of German suplexes as well. But still, it was a five-minute match. You know, Lesnar goes first on the card because obviously Lesnar does not he, – he, he doesn't show up to WrestleMania to main event WrestleMania. He shows up to WrestleMania to get a early match and, and leave. That's – Basically it. 
And honestly, there wasn't really any build up to this match at all either. It's this was remember what I said earlier in this podcast when I said that maybe perhaps Triple H isn't running the whole thing. Well, this match right here was the very first instance. Because it's been well known that Brock Lesnar does not does not work for anybody but Vince McMahon. So, with rumors that uh, obviously you know Vince McMahon was in town sporting a new a new mustache that makes him look like a pedophile, uh, Brock obviously you know Brock squashed Omos for the most part you know some people won't consider it a squash I'll consider it a squash because Omos literally only did two moves and kept repeating those two moves didn't really do Lesnar did the best he could to to sell for Omos and ultimately I mean all it took was a couple of German suplexes and an F5 to beat Omos that's really all it took so uh, this is this was the type of match that you would consider uh, you you would look at Vince McMahon booking this match. This is the type of match that he would book. Two two big guys cuz he likes the whole attraction of oh put two giants against each other and you know see who wins. That's that's what Vince believes draws audiences. He's still living in the past, you know, going back to Hogan and Andre, uh, you know, that that two, uh, two larger-than-life stars, or in this case, very large, in Omas and uh, Brock Lesnar, you know, will apparently be a draw. Which, honestly, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if people used this match as their piss break. Because, I mean, all it took was five minutes. So, uh, hell, I think I think potentially the uh, the entrances may have been more than five minutes. The entrances may have lasted longer than this match. Then we go to the Women's WrestleMania Showcase. And Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler defeated the teams of Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez, Natalia and Shotzi, and Chelsea Green and Sonya Deville by submission, even though Rousey and Baszler were barely even involved in the match. In my opinion, maybe one of the biggest wastes of a match. You want to call it a showcase. And then you have you bring in Ronda Rousey and you bring in Shayna Baszler. Baszler looked like she was looked like she got legitimately injured. Uh, there were rumors that Ronda Rousey had been wrestling injured throughout the entire throughout the entire match. That she wasn't fully recovered from whatever injury she may have been dealing with. And then the very next night on Monday Night Raw, they basically, it's that like they never even wrestled at WrestleMania. Because then, remember how I mentioned earlier that 
these showcase matches were supposed to be number one contenders matches to determine who would face off for the for the tag team championships in a future match. But yet, the very next night on Raw, after many rewrites, they held a they held a number one contenders match, which saw Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez become the new number one contenders. So my question is, why even have this showcase match to begin with then? If you're basically gonna if you're basically gonna screw the women over again and say, nah, we're not gonna have Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler uh, face the uh, women's tag team champions. Instead, we're gonna we're gonna name new number one contenders now. Is it because they were injured? If they were injured, why even put them in the match to begin with? It's it's very you know th- this just screams once again Vince McMahon type booking. Then we got to the third match of the night with Gunther. Uh, many people in the UK will know of him as Walter back when uh, he wrestled for Progress. Uh, he defeated Sheamus and Drew McIntyre to retain his Intercontinental Championship by pinfall. Uh, a, a near 17-minute match, which was nothing but banger after banger after banger after banger. Wow. I mean, for this match to have been uh, – this match was definitely a five-star match. I definitely agree with Dave Meltzer there. Uh, so many spots, so many – you know, so many chops in this match – all three wrestlers, they may have had legitimately purple uh, purple chests by the end of this match, with how many with how many shots they took each. So Gunther wins the or Gunther retains his title, which in my opinion was the the right move here. Sheamus he will get in his Intercontinental title. Uh, rain somewhere down the line, uh, you know, assuming Triple H remains in charge. Sheamus is a workout buddy of Triple H's, as is Drew McIntyre. McIntyre, though, is in a completely different situation. You know, there's been talk that maybe perhaps uh, he is not happy with his creative direction, and he's also not happy reportedly with the amount of money that the WWE has presented him in their most recent contract offer with his contract set to expire sometime later this year. So Gunther retaining the Intercontinental Championship here was the right move. And I would not be surprised if by SummerSlam we're looking at Gunther being in the world title picture. I would not be surprised at all. Matter of fact, I would expect it because his stock, in my opinion, his stock on the main roster just continues to rise with each, uh, with each match that he, uh, that he wrestles in here. 
Then on the fourth match of the night, we saw Bianca Belair defend her Raw Women's Championship against Asuka after Asuka missed the uh, the mist, which was made famous by the great Muda. And Asuka has been doing she's, – she's been one of those Japanese wrestlers throughout uh, wrestling history that has paid tribute by – by spitting mist at uh, at different wrestlers that she's wrestled. And ultimately that ended up missing, which allowed Bianca Belair to take advantage. And Bianca Belair defeated Asuka in a 16-minute match. Pretty good match. You know, I had, I had no complaints about it. I was expecting, though, that Asuka were to, were to uh, defeat Bianca Belair, but... Ultimately, you know, WWE decides to go with Bianca Belair here. And honestly, you know, she's running out of people to challenge her realistically. So it, it kind of makes me wonder how long could she potentially hold on to this title? Because she's already held it for a year. WrestleMania was uh, a- a- April 2nd was literally the year the year point. 365 days that she will that that she had held on to the title since winning it at last year at last year's WrestleMania. So the question here becomes, how the hell is you know what are they going to do uh, with Bianca Belair? How would they even have her drop the title? Will they ever have her drop the title? Is the question. That's something to look forward to, I guess. I because I, honestly, I I I can't name anybody on the main roster right now who they would have defeat Bianca Belair. Then we had an impromptu another uh, segment, just like night one with uh, Snoop Dogg and The Miz. Uh, seemingly it looked like we were going to have a match between Shane McMahon and The Miz with Shane McMahon returning uh, to the ring. However, ultimately, as the match got started, Shane Shane McMahon pulled a, pulled a, a rabbit out of or a feather out of his dad's hat from the Royal Rumble many years ago. Uh, where his dad tore both of his quads while attempting to enter the ring. And basically the same thing here happened with Shane when he attempted a leapfrog, uh, ultimately tearing his quadricep muscle. Uh, He ended up having to be removed, and this was a legitimate tear. It wasn't something for storyline. He legitimately tore his quadricep muscle. Uh, He had to be taken out of the ring. Uh, Snoop Dogg, though, give credit to Snoop Dogg. He thought very quickly. Uh, he ended up doing the people's elbow on the Miz after punching him twice and sending Miz to the mat. He performed the people's elbow and successfully defeated the Miz in a uh, a very short two minute match. I, I still think I still think that's hilarious, though that. 
that uh, Shane ended up tearing his quad like that. It's it's it, it's a weird tribute you would say to his father, and it's funny because his father said uh, in re- in real life, you know, the only pop he would ever get, uh, you know, the the Royal Rumble him uh, going to the Royal Rumble would be the only pop that he would ever get as long as uh, it would be the last pop he would get as long as Vince was alive. Uh, But then he comes back to, uh, he comes back at WrestleMania and yeah, it wasn't uh, the Royal Rumble wasn't the last pop that he would get as he basically popped his quad in the, in this, uh, this segment. So kind of, you know, kind of sad, but also kind of hilarious when you think about it um, in a sick way. Speaking of sick, we did have the Hell in a Cell match between the demon Finn Balor and uh, Edge, who they called Brood Edge, which I, I guess it's supposed to be his persona from back when he was in the brood with Gangrel and Christian all the way back in the Attitude Era. Uh, There was one scary scary moment in the match when Edge threw a ladder at Finn Balor and legitimately busted open Finn Balor's head. The top of Finn Balor's head was legitimately busted open. They said that he ended up having to have 14 or 15 staples uh, put in his head, and it looked like it looked like at one point that the match was going to be stopped, but ultimately, uh, you know, it it was really hard to see the blood because part of Finn Balor's face paint was red, so it was very hard to notice that he even got busted open until the cameras uh, decided not to show. Uh, they did all they could to make sure that they didn't show Finn Balor's face on TV. And ultimately, though, Edge ended up winning by concerto. Ended up winning by concerto, uh, which seemingly put a wrap on this story. Supposedly, however, though, uh, Finn Balor did bring up Edge on Raw, so maybe perhaps this story isn't entirely done. Um, but it was a pretty good Hell in a Cell match, uh, about 18 minutes worth. Then we had, apart from the Usos match on night one, which main evented night one, this was this uh, main event here between Cody Rhodes and Roman Reigns was perhaps the most hyped WrestleMania match ever since Cody Rhodes came back from his pectoral injury. Cody Rhodes wins the Royal Rumble. He comes He comes back, officially wins the Royal Rumble from number 30. He then challenges Roman Reigns. Let's just say there's a whole bunch of fuckery that happened with this match. I just, uh, we'll put it this way, it pissed off pretty much almost the entire WWE fan base. And I understand they want to do it. They want to do it so that Roman Reigns can reach the thousand uh 
the thousand day mark as champion. Uh, matter of fact, I'm sure they're probably already working on the T-shirts because hell, they had him wearing a fucking uh, WrestleMania champion T-shirt at the post uh, the post match uh, press conference. So they, you know, this was already they already had the shirts ready in advance uh, to give to the champions, uh, whoever ended up winning or retaining at WrestleMania, and Roman Reigns ultimately. Uh, make sure that Cody Rhodes does not complete the story at WrestleMania, defeating Cody Rhodes by pinfall with the help of Paul Heyman and Solo Sikoa, who had previously been ejected from ringside, only to then show up with the ref distracted in a hoodie and giving the Samoan spike to Cody Rhodes. Which, you know, I can't really say I have a problem with this. I Obviously, I would have preferred to have Cody Rhodes win because this was this literally would complete the story, or it would have at least you know started a new chapter. Perhaps they had the opportunity, and I agree with Kurt Angle on this. Kurt Angle mentioned on a uh, on a interview that he was doing, they had the opportunity to turn Cody Rhodes into a megastar with this match by having him defeat Roman Reigns and dethrone Roman Reigns after a nearly three-year title reign. And they chose not to. They chose instead, no, we value we value the, uh, the marketing value of a thousand days, of Roman reaching a thousand days as champion. We value the market value over that. Which, once again... This brings me to Bianca Belair, the previous, uh, you know, the argument I made for Bianca Belair. So Roman defeats Cody. Who can realistically defeat Roman now? It's like WWE has basically booked themselves into a corner to where it's like, okay, you can't realistically give anybody else the championship now because Roman Reigns has basically defeated everybody. He's basically, Cody Rhodes was the last opportunity to have somebody dethrone Roman Reigns. I mean, who can realistically defeat him now? What are you going to, are you going to have Jay Uso turn on the bloodline and defeat Roman Reigns, which I mean, Granted, you know, their their main event match uh, before Jay joined the bloodline was uh, was a banger to begin with, but it just, you might as well, you might as well have him break Bruno San Martino's record at this point as champion or Pedro Morales, whoever, whoever holds the record right now for the WWE title. You might as well just have him break the record, have him hold it for another four years or so. Because, honestly, you know, they haven't even built up any guys. They haven't built up any stars. So it's not like they're going to all of a sudden – I mean, you know, obviously people are saying, oh, well, Cody can can just take it from him at SummerSlam. I can tell you right now, nobody's going to give a fuck about SummerSlam. 
everybody was watching. They had everybody had eyes on WrestleMania, and the main thing that people would have gotten was Cody Rhodes defeating Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. That right there, in my opinion, was best for the story. And then you would have to see Roman as okay, what you know, what is he like as the tribal chief without those titles? Does he fall apart? Does the bloodline fall apart? Does he? You know, maybe maybe Cody Rhodes is a transitional champion, and Roman just beats him at WrestleMania Backlash. But now, Roman defeats Cody. He gets to have WrestleMania Backlash off because Cody is now involved in a program with Brock Lesnar. Which, to be perfectly honest, the Raw after WrestleMania it was not a Raw after WrestleMania. It had no vibe whatsoever of a Raw after WrestleMania. Because if it did, we wouldn't have seen the script get rewritten two times. No, or two or three times on the fly with the event ongoing, like we did this past Monday night. Matches or or segments that were supposed to take place ended up being scrapped mid-show, all because the former dictator, Vince McMahon, was back in charge. And he had Triple H come out there and parade. He paraded Triple H in front of the audience saying, oh, we're going nowhere. We're, we're staying here, blah, blah, blah. Thank you for making WrestleMania the, the huge success that it was. It, honestly, it was, it was shameful. It it was a shameful attempt by the WWE to try and hide that Vince McMahon was back in charge. Because just like night two, this past Monday night on Raw felt like a Vince McMahon booked show. And if it is, if Vince McMahon is back in charge of not just WWE but also creative, you're probably looking at a potential mass walkout by talent because talent now will have to go back to walking on eggshells, not being able to not being able to work freely, not you know you know having all of a sudden this huge weight being put back on their shoulders after having it lifted from their shoulders when Vince McMahon ended up, you know, he ended up walking out uh, and retiring so many months back because of all the, all the investigations that were going on uh, with him about, about the sexual assault and everything. That leads me into the reason why Vince McMahon is back. The WWE has been sold to the parent company of the Ultimate Fighting Championship, Endeavor. 
as a result of this, WWE and UFC stockholders will be absorbed together under a new company for stock purposes with a a value, a money, a monetary value of $9.3 billion. That was what WWE has been uh, officially diagnosed at under this new deal. Endeavor is slated to own 51% of the new company, while WWE shareholders would get 49%. Ari Emanuel is expected to stay on as chief executive of both Endeavor and also this new hybrid WWE UFC company. Vince McMahon, meanwhile, is expected to be the executive chairman. Endeavor president Mark Shapiro will also work in the same role at this new company. Dana White will remain as the president of the UFC while WWE CEO Nick Khan will serve as president of the WWE or whatever, the the WWE side of this new business. And this, obviously, uh, news of this first broke right before night two of WrestleMania was set to take place. The company had spent the past several months looking for a buyer. Uh, Vince had returned to the company as its chairman back in January in order to oversee the process. Shares of the WWE are up more than 33% so far this year, giving it a market value of more than $6.79 billion. Now, because of this deal, it will effectively end WWE's decades-old status as a family-run business. The McMahons no longer own the WWE. Endeavor owns the WWE. McMahon's father, Vince McMahon Sr., founded the WWE in its original incarnation during the middle of the 20th century. And Vince is now the controlling shareholder in the company. McMahon had bought the company from his father back in 1982. And since then, they have grown into a global phenomenon, uh, spawning stars such as Hulk Hogan, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Dave Bautista, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and John Cena. Now, what what WWE brings to the table, they bring a robust media and live events business, along with their decades worth of intellectual property, which means obviously multiple events, multiple DVDs, uh, multiple, basically multiple hours of coverage of uh you know, of content. The company generated $1.29 billion in revenue last year, driven mainly by its $1 billion media unit. Uh, The UFC, though, has also paid off for Endeavor. Last year, the the UFC helped Endeavors make $1.3 billion in revenue. Uh, Their market cap stood at about $10.5 10 and, 10 and billion as of Friday's closing. 
Uh, now, the the deal with the WWE values UFC at more than $12 billion. And at least at a glance, the WWE would fit well with the cultures of both Endeavor and the UFC. And with McMahon's brash public persona, this would make him to be a good match for Emmanuel and Dana White, who are also known for their outsized personalities. And last I looked, the WWE stocks closed on Friday, or the WWE side, I should say, closed at $100.38 per share, which is easily one of the, it's easily, uh, you know, one of the highest prices since WWE went public. So, you know, obviously this was the right, uh, you know, selling selling the company, I guess, was the right move money-wise for Vince. You know, he got he got his uh, his price that he was looking for, and now instead of being competitors, the WWE and the UFC are now one big global juggernaut. You know, it's. I would say this is almost the equivalent of WWE buying WCW. It's you know it's hard to it's hard to look at it that way, but that's how I would see it. Is this is the modern day version of WWE buying WCW, and the difference here is that the UFC isn't going away. And both will basically act uh, independently of each other, and who knows? Who knows so far if there will be any cross promotional uh, opportunities? I don't know. You know, who know? Who knows what may what may come of uh, of this? Obviously, with both of them being under endeavor. You know, there's now multiple opportunities uh, for business to be done between both Vince and Dana White. However, the sale of the WWE to Endeavor does not come without investigations, as Ademi LLP, who is a law firm that specializes in shareholder litigation, announced that they are looking into whether WWE's board of directors obtained a fair and reasonable price in the sale process. As according to the news release uh, brought to us by Felix Upton of Ringside News, Ademi LLP alleges WWE's financial outlook and prospects are excellent, and yet the transaction values WWE's shares at only approximately $106 per share, with Endeavor holding a 51% controlling interest in the new company and existing WWE shareholders holding a 49% interest in the new company. The transaction agreement unreasonably limits competing bids for WWE by imposing a significant penalty 
if the WWE accepts a superior bid. WWE insiders will receive substantial benefits as part of change of control arrangements. We are investigating the conduct of WWE's board of directors and whether they are, number one, fulfilling their fiduciary duties to all shareholders, and number two, obtaining a fair and reasonable price for the WWE. And also, it was noted that WWE shares fell almost 10% in early trading after news of the deal broke. Honestly, you know, this does not surprise me in the least. The fact that uh, it, it just, it, it seems like Vince can't go anywhere without being investigated uh, in some sort of fashion over the last year or two. Obviously, from what, you know, from what I've been told, I've been told stuff like this is normal and you know, it's kind of to be expected. So I guess there's nothing to really look into when it comes to when it comes to this investigation here. And ultimately the deal will be finalized uh at whatever at whatever date we're looking at moving forward. Now, the question is, what deal or what impact might this deal have on WWE's relationship with Saudi Arabia, especially now that the CEO of Endeavor, Ari Emanuel, is involved? The thing here is, given the fact that Emanuel and Endeavor had pulled out of their business relationships with Saudi Arabia years ago after the murder of reporter Jamal Khashoggi, the belief from the WWE is that the current deal will continue through the terms of the current contract, which was for 20 events in total. Uh, Dave Meltzer also added that Emmanuel could end up softening his stance before the deal expires and doesn't have to make a decision until around 2028. Uh, As WWE fans all know, WWE's king and queen of the ring event is expected to take place in Saudi Arabia on Saturday, May 27, 2023. Vince gets the best of both worlds. Not only does he sell the WWE, but he also he also gets to uh, you know he gets to stay on in a high position, even higher than what Dana White currently holds in the UFC. And it's funny considering the fact that Dana White has been part of Endeavor a lot longer than Vince has, who literally just joined. But now he also gets to keep his blood money packed with the Saudi Arabian government. And now we'll be seeing wrestlers from the WWE continuing to go into Saudi Arabia to put on events uh, for uh, for pretty much the uh, long-term future here. Which... Honestly, honestly, I couldn't really give a fuck. You know, it's that has long blown over. 
uh, you know, Vince sold his soul long t- a long time ago. Anything to basically give him money. Another question, though, this brings up is what kind of impact might this might this deal have on the WWE's current uh, agreement with Peacock? Now, Peacock, as everybody knows, holds the current WWE library and also provides fans with access to the WWE premium live events that are that go that go on every single month for one for for one specific price depending on depending on what you uh on what version of peacock you have if you have the uh the standard version or if you have the version with no commercials you have two different prices but it's been said that WWE is intrigued by the UFC model that they've been going on with on ESPN Plus when it comes to pay-per-views. And this has begged the question, will the WWE go back to the pay-per-view market? Which obviously they could do. They could possibly do. Uh, The big question is, will we be seeing the $80, sometimes $100 price tag that comes with it? And I got to tell you, you know, fans have been so used to having the WWE Network or having Peacock uh, for so long now that I don't necessarily think they'd be willing to shell out 80 to to $100 potentially for a WWE pay-per-view, especially one that they're not going to live. I think if WWE decides to enacted the business model by the UFC, they would have to do something in terms of, it would have to be some sort of package, I feel. Because fans, you know, it's it's a different era. You know, gone are the days where fans would order every single wrestling pay-per-view, uh, you know, monthly, religiously, during the Attitude Era and during the Ruthless Aggression Era and other eras that came uh, with the WWE before the WWE Network. Fans have gotten so used to the streaming aspect, uh, the, you know, the WWE Network and the Peacock aspect of WWE pay-per-views or WWE premium live events that I don't think that I don't think anybody would really be willing to shell out the amount of uh the amount of money that they that the WWE would probably set they decide to adopt the UFC's way of uh of putting on of put, you know of putting their shows on on uh especially pay-per-views on television I think they they may find that you know people are people are just not going to be willing to do that. So they could potentially see a drop in support from the WWE fan base. You know, they may not get the numbers that they would expect to get uh if they decide to adopt the UFC's way of doing business. But anyways, that's 
you know, that's a long time down the road. WWE has about three more years, I think, with Peacock. And ES or, uh, UFC has a couple of years left, I think, with ESPN Plus as well. So it's it's all a guess at this point as far as to which way both sides are going to go. And, you know, all indications are, too, that there's always a possibility maybe, w, maybe WWE does stay with Peacock. Uh, which also this would improve or this would keep their uh, their relationship with NBC Universal solid. Uh, you know they could always ultimately end up going back into the pay-per-view market as well. But uh, staying on Peacock would also help them uh, when it comes to their new media rights deal. Whenever that may be coming up uh, for a potential renewal for WWE Raw, which is obviously currently a part of the NBC Universal uh, network of, uh, of channels as it's on, obviously it's on USA Network. And ultimately, I kind of feel like this would be, uh, you know, this would be a way for WWE, if they were to stay with Peacock, it would be a great way for them to be able to renew uh, the licensing right for WWE Raw on USA Network. Unless, of course, they're planning on going a different direction, which is entirely possible. Uh, Still to come, we do have March Madness to talk about. I do know uh, I did get a text message from Alex. He is expected to be joining us. Uh, at some point within the next uh, 12 minutes or so. So he will be joining us. We'll talk a little bit about about March Madness and uh, his Yukon Huskies officially taking uh, the national championship. But let's go into the playoff picture. We'll start with the NHL as we are down to the final three games of the regular season here. And currently, right now, we have the Boston Bruins uh, right now in action against the New Jersey Devils with a 2-1 to lead with about 16 and a half minutes to go in the third period. Uh, Bruins hanging on to a slim uh, one-goal margin. But looking at the playoffs right now uh, with – only just a few games remaining. The Boston uh, first in the Eastern Conference. The Boston Bruins are on top uh, with a 61-12 and five record, good for 127 points. They have clinched the President's Trophy for the best record in the NHL among all NHL teams this season. Uh, in second place in the Eastern Conference, you have the Carolina Hurricanes at 50, 20, and 9 for 109 points. Third, you have the New Jersey Devils at 50, 21, and 8 for 108 points. Then you have the New York Rangers at 46, 21, and 12 for 104 points. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs at 46, 21, and 11 for 103 points. And the Tampa Bay Lightning at 45, 28, and 6 for 96 points. Those are the current guaranteed playoff spots in the Eastern Conference. Now, the wild card is still to be decided. 
Uh, Pittsburgh currently holds the top wild card spot in the East with a record of 40, 30, and 10 for 90 points, just one point ahead of second wild card place, Florida Panthers at 41, 31, and 7 with 89 points, and the New York Islanders at 40, 30, and 9 with 89 points. The Buffalo Sabres, even uh, technically they haven't been mathematically eliminated yet at 39, 32, and 7, but they are pretty damn close. Uh, the Ottawa Senators, they have basically been eliminated, essentially, uh, with, 30, with only 81 points and only a couple of games left. There's no way that they will be able to catch uh, the Florida Panthers or the New York Islanders for that final spot. Over in the Western Conference, we do have the Vegas Golden Knights at the top of the West right now at 49-22-9 for 107 points. They also lead the Pacific Division by two points over the Edmonton Oilers, the Edmonton Oilers at 48-23-9 for 105 points. The Dallas Stars currently lead the Central Division, but they are third in the Western Conference at 44, 21, and 14 for 102 points. You also have the Colorado Avalanche, the Stanley Cup defending Colorado Avalanche at 47, 24, and 6 for 100 points. They are tied with LA, who sit at 45, 24, and 10, also with 100 points. And the Minnesota Wild are 44, 24, and 10 with 98 points. Those are the guaranteed locked spots in the Western Conference right now. Uh, One wild card spot has been locked as well for the Western Conference. That goes to the Seattle Kraken with a 44, 26, and 8 record, good for 96 points. The second wild card spot is still up for grabs with a couple of games left as the Winnipeg Jets and the Calgary Flames are both tied with 89 points, and the Nashville Predators are still in the running with 88 points. Everybody else has been mathematically eliminated. Looking at a couple of scores from around the league, uh, some games still in play here. The Bruins, as I mentioned, with a 2-1 to one lead over the New Jersey Devils with about 14 minutes to go. Uh, the Minnesota Wild with a 4-3 to three lead over the St. Louis Blues with about five, uh, 5 minutes and 50 seconds left to go in the third. The Calgary Flames and the Vancouver Canucks are scoreless, uh, just beginning the first with about 13 and a half minutes to go in the first. The Chicago Blackhawks and the Seattle Kraken are tied at one apiece with about 11 and a half minutes to go in the first period. Uh, still, to go, still to come tonight, the Colorado Avalanche and the LA Kings are set to drop the puck in about seven minutes or so. Some finals from earlier today, we had the Buffalo Sabres with a massive 4-3 to three victory over the Carolina Hurricanes just to keep themselves in the hunt for uh, the foreseeable uh, future here with only a few games left. Uh, I don't think they've been mathematically eliminated yet. The Pittsburgh Penguins with a huge 5-1 to one victory over the Detroit Red Wings to keep themselves in the number one spot for the wild card in the Eastern Conference. The Dallas Stars with a 2-1 to one victory over the Vegas Golden Knights in a shootout. 
You also had the Edmonton Oilers with a 6-1 to one victory over the San Jose Sharks. And also the Arizona Coyotes, a 5-4 to four victory in overtime over the Anaheim Ducks. The Winnipeg Jets shut out the Nashville Predators 2 to nothing. The Florida Panthers with a 4-2 to two victory over the Washington Capitals. The Toronto Maple Leafs with a 7-1 to one victory over the Montreal Canadiens. The New York Rangers with a 4 to nothing shutout over the Columbus Blue Jackets. You also had the Ottawa Senators with a 7-4 to four victory over the Tampa Bay Lightning. And the New York Islanders with a 4 to nothing shutout over the Philadelphia Flyers. Now some notes. From tonight, uh, first off, for the New Jersey Devils, uh, with his assist on Jesper Bratt's goal, Jack Hughes has now tied Patrick Eliash, New Jersey Devil legend, for the franchise record in points with his 96th point of the season. And with a couple of games left, it seems to be realistic that Jack Hughes will definitely break that record. So with only a couple of games left, remains to be seen. But it's, it seems likely that he will probably break that record. And definitely definitely is music to uh, New Jersey Devil fans. Uh, ears, considering the fact that Hughes got off to a little bit of a slow start in his career, but he has finally begun to pick things up. Let's see. Going over to the NBA, a couple of notes here first. Uh, Minnesota Timberwolf Naz Reed is out indefinitely after undergoing successful surgery to repair his fractured left wrist. It was reported at the time of his injury that he would be sidelined for six weeks. However, in the team's official post-surgery update, uh, the Timberwolves declared him to be out indefinitely. Uh, So now, as a result of that, uh, the minutes of starters Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert have been staggered more than they have in the past. And this should probably be the case when it comes to the postseason. This approach also protects Kyle Anderson's minutes as he excelled while Towns was sidelined by a grade three cap strain. Also, according to ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski, uh, Memphis Grizzlies center Stephen Adams with a strained right PCL is unlikely to return during the postseason. He has been sidelined since January with the injury in his right knee, He ended up undergoing a stem cell injection in early March to aid in the recovery process, but it appears likely that the Veterans Center will not be available during the postseason for the Grizzlies. Xavier Tillman will remain the starting center with Santi Aldama also of added importance to their current front court rotation. Now, speaking of the Grizzlies, they did just clinch the number two spot in the Western Conference for the upcoming playoffs, as pretty much both playoff pictures are officially locked in. The only question is what seat, pretty much the only questions come in the Western Conference. 
as it looks like the top four seeds are officially locked in with the Denver Nuggets, the Memphis Grizzlies, the Sacramento Kings, and the Phoenix Suns all in the top four. The only question is, what will come of seeds five through eight with the L.A. Clippers and the Golden State Warriors looking to hang into the guaranteed portion of the playoffs with the Lakers and Pelicans currently sitting in the play-in tournament. Also, you have the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Oklahoma City Thunder also in the play-in tournament as well for the Western Conference. Although I will say that doesn't come without controversy, uh, which obviously there is stuff to come. There is stuff to come from that. Uh, more importantly, involving the Dallas Mavericks, as they are being investigated by the NBA for apparently tanking to avoid the play-in tournament, and this this drew a lot of head scratching uh, yesterday when it was announced that their entire starting five or most of their starting five would be sat for that, for their game against the Milwaukee or no, against the Chicago Bulls and only Luka Doncic would dress and he would only play just a little bit of the game. They ended up, I I believe he ended up sitting out uh, after the first quarter uh, the Mavs did have the chance to secure their spot. However, they blew an 11-point lead in the fourth, and it appeared they weren't playing their best basketball. At least that was the consensus on Twitter. Uh, adding insult to injury, though, was Cuban's reaction to his team missing the game-tying shot in the final seconds of the game, which officially ended their chances at getting into the play-in tournament. And he seemed to be smirking which further fueled the speculation that they were tanking on purpose. And, of course, uh, head coach Jason Kidd didn't really do himself a great job of masking anything either uh, because he essentially said, yeah, we sat a lot of guys and it was upper management's decision in the hopes of building a better roster for next season. Now, Dallas gets to hold on to some high draft picks as a result because of the draft pick being protected partially uh, in what was going to go to Brooklyn as part of the Kyrie Irving deal. Now, though, it, it has been revealed by TMZ Sports that Mark Cuban and the Dallas Mavericks, as a result, are under investigation by the NBA for tanking. And the announcement came down earlier today by NBA spokesperson Mike Bass, who said the NBA commenced an investigation today into the facts and circumstances surrounding the Dallas Mavericks roster decisions and game conduct with respect to last night's Chicago Bulls-Mavericks game, including the motivations behind those actions. And... They claimed that a number of the Mavericks' best players were out due to injuries with only Luka Doncic playing for a quarter, a little bit over a quarter. 
I mean, I can, you know, I can see it. This is considered to be a deep draft, so I can see why Dallas would try to would try to inadvertently tank. It would seem I can I can see why they would try to do that. But still, it's not, you know, it's not a good uh, it's not a good precedent. And also, basically, what they did was with that draft pick being protected. I don't know the exact the exact terms of the deal, but it sounds like they get to hang on to their draft pick from this year now as a result of that, which essentially screws over the Nets because they – let's face it, Kyrie Irving, ever since he came over to the Dallas Mavericks in that deal, the Mavericks only won four games with Kyrie Irving. And Irving is a free agent this year. Now, it's unknown – as to whether or not Irving would actually resign with Dallas, but if he does, then many would say that da- many would say that Dallas uh, basically pulled off the high, uh, one of the biggest heists of the century when it comes to the NBA and NBA trades. But hell. You know, I consider it karma, the fact that Kyrie Irving ends up joining this team only for them to suck pretty much the entire rest of the season uh, ever since ever since he got brought on board. So, hey, no Kyrie in the playoffs. It's no skin, no skin under my ass. Uh, over in the Eastern Conference, we have the playoff picture officially set. Uh, first off, the guaranteed playoff spots belong to the Milwaukee Bucks, the Boston Celtics, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Cleveland Cavaliers, the New York Knicks, and the Brooklyn Nets, all in that order. In the play-in tournament, we will have the Miami Heat facing off against the, more than likely, against the Atlanta Hawks, and the Toronto Raptors against the Chicago Bulls for the right to face the loser of the Heat and the Hawks. Now, the winner of the Heat and the Hawks will then take on the Boston Celtics in the in the uh, first round of the playoffs, while the winner of whoever whoever loses that and whoever wins uh, the matchup between the Raptors and Bulls, the winner of of those two instances will then face off against the Milwaukee Bucks in the first round. Uh, as far as the other playoff matchups, it looks like we will have the Philadelphia 76ers against the Brooklyn Nets and the Cleveland Cavaliers against the New York Knicks in the first round, barring any, uh, any potential differences here, which, I mean, let's face it, the final two games of the season, teams, it, it's been very hard to bet on NBA games this week. Because you're starting to see teams sit some of their starters in order to give them some rest before the playoff grind starts. So, as it stands right now, though, in the Western Conference as well, uh, the current playoff matchups are as follows. You will see the Denver Nuggets face-off against the number eight seed, which would be whoever wins Minnesota versus Oklahoma City, 
that team will take on the loser of the LA Lakers and the New Orleans Pelicans if the season if the if the if the current standings hold up like they are right now. Meanwhile, the winner of the Lakers and Pelicans will take on the Memphis Grizzlies in the first round. We will also see the Sacramento Kings take on the Golden State Warriors and the Phoenix Suns take on the LA Clippers in the first round. That's what the Western Conference looks like here. And in all honesty, honestly, I mean, if I'm looking at teams to look to watch out for here, first starting out with the Western Conference, I think you need to look out for Denver. I do think you need to look out for Golden State. You know, don't be fooled by Golden State's number six seed. Golden State is still a very dangerous team despite their record being what it is right now. Uh, I would also keep an eye on the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah, they may be without Steven Adams for the rest of the for the rest of the playoffs, but they are still a very dangerous team there. Uh over on the east, I would look out for the Milwaukee Bucks. Although with Chris Middleton potentially being out, that could be a problem. I would also keep my eye on the Boston Celtics, assuming they decide that they actually want to play consistent basketball moving forward. And I would also keep my eye on the Philadelphia 76ers. But with that being said, I know you guys have been tired of listening to me for the last hour and a half here uh, all by myself. So uh, let me bring in Alex. Alex, it's been a... It's been a big week for you, uh, in particular, uh, your UConn Huskies uh, yeah. taking home the national title. Yeah, see, that was awesome. That was a real roller coaster and season for the ages. I mean, no one saw it coming at all, and it just accumulated it, you know, kind of just reached the pinnacle. Everything turned out perfectly as planned, really. I mean, no losses by single digits. They just they never slowed down. They just kept rolling all the way to the to the ring. It was really a remarkable run. I I think everyone and their brothers eager to see if they can sustain it. But hey, this is a great way to get recruits. And you know Hurley's, you know he's a made man now in Connecticut. I mean I think now it's just like from here now. I think hopefully I think they should be back in like that top echelon for for a long while now. They're they're definitely they're definitely back where they used to be. Yeah, it, and you know the thing. The thing I'll say that what was really impressive about this run is they did not win any single game by single digits. Every single game of this run was a blowout. Yeah, I mean I've never seen like a, you know, they flirted around top twenty, top twenty-five. No one was going to, no one was clamoring for uh, the Huskies to win at all. I mean, not, no one that I really heard. And then they just absolutely went on a complete run. Like every every game, they got better. Different guys showed up. Different guys stepped up, and they found different ways to really be dangerous. And then they it just it, it ended with a bang with with the ring. It was really incredible. Yeah, and if you remember what I said last week, uh, I felt that if UConn could stamp, could stamp their way into the final, or you know, they obviously put their put themselves in the finals. If they were to face San Diego State. You know, I had felt that they that they would have no problems. Yeah, and, I mean, I definitely. 
I give I give San Diego State you know, they have some good players, but I mean, come on, it was all it was it was strange. I mean, I know there's always different heavyweights that get knocked off. That's all part of March Madness, right? But I mean, literally by the end, it was literally like, where are the juggernauts? You know, where are the old Red right. Sox or Yankees? Right. Where where are the old you know Jayhawks or, or Duke Blue Devil type squads where it was like you know 35 and two? All the big dogs were already put to bed. So at, at the end, it was just like, all right, finish this. Because it was like almost like the games almost got more and more winnable as they kept beating people. It's like they started with the really big dogs like Arkansas, and then it kind of just like once they proved they could do that a couple of weeks ago, you know, San Diego State, not to take anyone for granted. but And obviously San Diego State was looking for their first national title. Uh, and, you know, I was honestly, I was very surprised that through most of the first half, it seemed like this was a pretty even game. And then all of a yeah, sudden, oh. UConn just took off. Yeah. I don't even, even know if they were playing down or just kind of playing more like what the Huskies looked like for the past 11 months or two years or four years. But, yeah, the first half was like, uh-oh, they've kind of come back down to earth. You know, they're not just rampaging. This might be, this might be a different story. And then they just went right back to that red-hot, you know, that tremendous run. The second half, they just, like, turned it back on to overdrive. Yes. For a little bit, though, looked like San Diego State was going to hang and maybe maybe do something dangerous. But, you know, UConn prevailed. Now, the question is, will they be able to come back and do the same thing next year? Because they are currently ranked, uh, of course, a very early ranking, but they are ranked as the number one team starting next year and they will be without sophomore star Jordan Hawkins as he is currently he he has uh, announced that he will leave for the NBA draft where it is expected that he will be a lottery pick yeah definitely Uh, however Donovan Klingen one of their freshmen he has declared plans to return for next season so he will be back next season and he's going to be that much better, just natural progression. He's going to be even better. He's projected just probably, probably higher, you know, when he goes to the to the pros. I mean, your size wins. I mean, in those matches, he's seven foot two. I mean, he's eighteen years old. So, hey, Hawkins, great player, shooter. You know, if you had to pick one, I I think m- many UConn fans, including Coach Hurley, wants uh, Donovan. You know, the seven foot two guy back. So they're good there. They graduate. I mean, Cal. And the biggest key, Steve, like you know. You know college hoops. Um, the biggest key, again, is going to be reloading. I mean, if they have a really good freshman class, then they're right back where they started, right, right back where they ended. They, they better be bringing in some big some big players. Right. And Jordan, Jordan Hawkins in the championship game, 16 points, four rebounds, no assists. He did have a blocked shot and also a steal uh, against San Diego State. Uh, for this season, he averaged 16.2 points per game and 3.8 rebounds, along with 1.3 assists on 40. Uh, we'll call it 41% shooting. You know, yeah, and it, a really good it really it seems like his stock has 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 risen quite significantly as a result of this tournament. Definitely, and it, no, you nailed it right there. I was going to say, I mean, let's not tell him short, but we weren't exactly gushing over like a you know, future hall or future all-star shooting guard. He wasn't like a Ray Allen or Rip Hamilton or even a Ben Gordon. He was considered like their best player. That was just great. But 
And then you even saw in the final, you know, in the playoffs, March Madness, you had different guys. Sonogo was more important than Hawkins. I think Donovan right. Green was probably more important. So, you know, he probably wasn't even the best player, you know, in these tournament games either. So, yeah, big loss, but not like – it's not a massive hopeless void that he's leaving behind. However, though, this is a significant step up, though, for, for Hawkins when you consider that his first year, his freshman year with UConn, he only put up 5.8 points per game. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I don't mean to take any credit away. I'm just saying it was not like when all that – you remember the last couple of shows we've been talking about it, you know. You're, you know, right. we were like, wow, he's projected that high. You know what I mean? He just didn't seem like – we weren't watching Allen Iverson or Kobe Bryant. It's like, you know, really good shooter, good-looking player. But I wasn't like, wow, I can't imagine life without this guy on the team. So it's like, as other guys stepped up, now he's gone. Those other guys are going to just continue to step up. I think they can overcome his his uh, departure. At the you know at the same point too, you know it's interesting. You, you say that you that they'll be able to overcome his departure. Uh, that you know that's going to be a big question as to if they're going to be able to bring somebody in. Or if somebody's yeah. going to be able to take that next step beginning next year to replace any of his production. Yeah, and I mean, talk about timing. This this portal, some people like it. Some people, it's like, I mean, look at the um, LSU girls. You get like a rotisserie roster. Like overnight, they have four new starters. Hey, the men's too. I mean, now, wow, okay, you want to go to UConn? Well, you know, guys are talking about it at dinner or um, – you know, at a at a pickup game over the summer. Wow, yeah, UConn's calling me. I want to go there. They're going to have no problem getting some really, really top-flight uh, transfers and, you know, and recruits coming out of high school. I mean, this is a, this is a huge win for them for the next couple of years. They're going to be getting some, some top talent going to Stores, Connecticut. Yeah, hopefully, especially when you, when you consider the fact that uh, normally when players look at, at college rosters and looking at looking to transfer normally you see them going to going to places like the SEC I, I, you know I will say though it it does kind of help the fact that UConn is in a uh is in a conference where there are quite a few teams that have been you know juggernauts in the past yeah. for college yeah, basketball for sure. So Absolutely. there's plenty of history there, and you you know your college hoops, you know that very very well, Steve. I mean, yeah, there's plenty of lore there. You're not, you know, you're not going to uh, New Mexico State because they just won something. I mean, there's plenty of tradition, plenty of pride, plenty of legacy, plenty of NBA players, plenty of glory coming out of the uh, the Big East, and you know, the B, that Providence, the, the Villanova, that the, that whole era of basketball. I mean, it's it's a it's a nice hotbed. It's back now, full force. Yeah, and other other players that are looking at uh, questions as to whether or not they will uh, announce or not. Uh, small forward Andre Jackson and center Adama Sanogo, uh, who also oh. rose his stock considerably. Uh, they Huge. are facing questions as to whether or not they will uh, whether or not they will uh, intend to uh, to announce for the NBA draft. Uh, however, got, though can... it is. It is yeah, notable though that they do they do have the fourth ranked signing class uh nationally on the way for next season. 
That's huge. And I got to do, I've been a little busy this week. No excuses. That's, that's definitely being sports gurus on, on a great show like yours. But I, I want to do some more research this week. I did hear a rumor and saw like an article the other day that they do have a really good recruiting class coming in. I got to research it more. So, and obviously the positions are big too. Like, you know, if they're bringing in three or four big men, awesome. But they have to replace, replace a great guard in Hawkins. Jackson's more of like a three, like a wingman. I don't see him leaving. You never know financial situation or the guy could be a pre-med student who can graduate when he's 30 years old so but he might just want to try to go to the nba you never everyone has an interesting story at that level um Sinogo, right. i know you and i've talked about him in a really good positive you know really in the guy's amazing he's, he's really good hard worker blue collar i mean if he leaves what's the second rounder I, I would i would hope he would stay for one more year but again we don't know at the end of the day what the decision is going to be Right, because let, let's face let's face it. You know, you can't really say whether or not his stock will be any higher right now, or any That's higher true, than yeah. it is right now, coming off coming off of a national title win. Uh, you know, true, he too. may look at he, he may look at it right now as, okay, will I even be able to, you know, if I go back if I go back to UConn for another year, will I? Get will I be more likely to be drafted if I go and and play for UConn for another year, or even if it's the second round, will I get will I be more likely to be drafted this year coming off of a national title win? That's a good way, and, and I'm a huge Sonogo. I, I I love the guy; he's so hardworking. Um, but yeah, that's a pretty realistic way to view him. Kind of a sobering but realistic way to to consider his scenario that. He's just accomplished that, and you're right. He's at his absolute peak. Because, I mean, he was hitting three-pointers. He's like Nowitzki, and then he was banging like uh, Charles Barkley down low. I mean, the guy was dominating out of nowhere. How can he come back and do any better than that? Uh, you're right. right. Like he's, he's, his stock is at an all-time high. He's like, okay, I can cash in on myself literally and financially by leaving. So it's, it might be a little tough for, to, to get him to stay. Maybe he's – you never know, man. Maybe, you know, his college sweethearts and stores, or maybe he's finally falling in love with the campus. There's so many different little variables that hopefully we'll find out about. I want him to stay, but you're right. It's it's hard to – it would hard to – you can't argue that, hey, he should stay to improve his stock because, I mean, his his name brand is at an all-time high right now. Right. By the way, this just in, the Boston Bruins have officially tied Detroit Red Wings and the Tampa Bay Lightning for the NHL record for wins in a season with their 62nd win tonight with a 2-1 to one victory over wow. the New Jersey Devils. And with Ooh. three games to go, with three games to go, they have one or they have a chance to break the record and stand alone. Wow. It's been an incredible run. I mean, I, I think they're going to win it. We'll see comes down to defense and goaltending, but, I mean, what a dominant, impressive uh, year. What a historical year they've had. Yep, and uh, they, I believe, are now only three points away from tying the Montreal Canadiens for the most points in NHL history as well. Wow. And also, uh, staying staying on hockey for one second as well, we have an upset in... College hockey, Winnipeg University upsets 
the Minnesota Golden Gophers to claim the national title for college hockey. Wow. Cool school. They're in Hamden, Connecticut, about a half hour from where I live, where I grew up, Steve. And good, good campus, small school, though, as we know. Small D1, hockey hotbed, but, yeah, phenomenal upset. I mean, they've always been on that cusp, but, like, wow. You know, that's, that's, that's a huge – that's the biggest accomplishment in that program's history by far. Massive yeah. upset. By the way, for the Bruins, they tie the 95-96 Detroit Red Wings and the 2018-2019 Tampa Bay Lightning with this wow. uh, with this win. Not shabby company. So they have a chance. Their first chance to set the record will be tomorrow against the Philadelphia Flyers. Woof. Which. Yeah, I it's possible. I'm not. I'm not saying they're going to definitively get it, but it's possible. But a two a two to one victory over the New Jersey Devils, a team that they that that they may potentially meet in the Stanley Cup playoffs. That's, uh, nice. that's a pretty big. Uh, it's a it's a pretty big win. Nice Actually, little statement there, like, wa- like waving to him, saying, and and we'll also see you soon. We'll, we'll do it again in the playoffs too, soon enough. Kind of a mental yeah, win this, too against the Devils. This might be a three to one win actually because uh, they are looking at whether or not David Pasternak had the if the puck went across the line. And on replay, it looks like for a for a second it goes across the line completely. Uh, something that they're looking at right now. But right now, Boston has taking home the victory. Uh, Linus Olmark once again with the win, improving to 39-6-1 on the year. That's just that's just bionic, <laughs> robotic, cyborg, robot stats. I mean, come on. And, and he's considered to be the Vesna Trophy winner. Uh, well, many are considering him to be the Vezina Trophy winner for the best goaltender in the league this year. You, you know, you go to bed, wake up. I mean, you're, you're true, 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 you know, bleeding, bleeding through the veins, hardcore Bruins, which I love. So you've got more insight. We all know that. But, I mean, I'm just looking at them. They have goal scorers up and down the roster. They have a world-class, you know, icon in between the pipes. I don't know. They could, they could lose two or three playoff games and win a ring if they keep rolling like this. Right. And uh, also tonight marked the return of Taylor Hall to the Boston Big. Bruins roster. So you want to talk, you want to talk about depth. They basically yeah. just got back one of their, they got back one of their, uh, one of their top uh, players before his injury. Now that he's back, uh, and ca- when you consider all the additions that they ma- that they made to the uh, that they made to the roster at the deadline, the Boston Bruins may indeed potentially lose in the playoffs. But it's going to be a very hard out for any team to yeah. out them. Yeah, yeah. If someone if someone's going to somehow knock them off, it's going to be a pretty extraordinary effort that that no one's really going to see coming. Right. Also, this just in, uh, one of the most classic 
UFC fights of all time, Robbie Lawler versus Rory McDonald 2 is being inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame in their fight section. This was uh, literally just announced as UFC 287 is on pay-per-view right now, and it was just announced on Twitter. Uh, That absolute war from UFC 189 uh, will be officially going into the UFC Hall of Fame in the fight section of the Hall of Fame. That's pretty cool. Uh, let's see, but yeah, yeah, you know, uh, going back to UConn for for a minute here. Uh, yeah, one of the other one of the other uh, things to look at too. You got to look at some of the other rotation players. First off, it looks like Calcaterra uh, has no more uh, years of eligibility left. He's turning uh, he's turning forty in a month. It's been a good run. I think he's going to be a stockbroker tomorrow. Yeah, no, he's done. Nineteenth year senior. Yeah. We wish him well. Yeah, he's done. Uh, some other players, uh, Elaine and Tristan Newton, they were both listed as seniors on this year's roster, but they do have one season left of eligibility because of the oh. COVID-19 pandemic. Okay. <laughs> uh, Alex Caravan. Well, and, 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 and Steve, just a quick two cents on him. You, you saw Newton, uh, nice role player. He's like a, like a Josh Hart, like, a, you know, like maybe their fifth guy. So he would definitely be really nice to have back. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think he would definitely serve uh, UConn well, especially when you're looking for when you're looking for depth on that on that roster moving forward. Yeah, he's like a Jackson, like a nice you know defender, smart guy, athlete, good player to have back. Yeah. He's definitely somebody you're going to want to have back. And it looks like Alex Caravan, who stands at six foot eight with a smooth three point shot, uh, like him, yeah. is coming. He is coming off of a red shirt freshman season, so he is expected to be back next year. Nice looking player. Got better every every time out there. Really, I mean, he's got a little bit better every big game. Yeah, they also expect Hassan Diara to be back. However, with uh, with five-star freshman guard Stefan Castle on the way, uh, it looks like Diara will have trouble carving out a steady role again next season, even with two seasons of eligibility remaining. So uh, an excellent perimeter defender, but uh, his role basically decreased as the season went on this year. So... Diara, if anything, will be will be there in case of injuries, if injuries pop up. But other than that, uh, looks like Stefan Castle is going to be the big uh, the big man on campus coming in um, yep. at guard. And not for nothing, he does play well. No, I mean he's he's listed as a shooting guard. I think you know you know it is it's awesome. But there's so much so many different articles and scouts and different projections. I mean. He's listed as a shooting guard, then he plays point guard. He just he sounds like a tremendous player. So he he's definitely the guy that can fill in for Hawkins. But, I mean, obviously the more good guards that return, the better. But yeah, I mean, this guy's castle sounds like the real deal. Like, right away he could score 15 a game. You know, he could be a, a, one of the best Huskies the first month of the season right away. Right. Uh, by the way, like I said, uh, the Huskies are listed as number one. 
uh, on the and one rankings uh, heading into next year. Uh, Arkansas, they have fallen four spots, and that is because their leading scorer, Ricky Council, has announced that he will be entering the NBA draft, and oh. he has he he uh, he has given no indication that he plans to maintain his college eligibility. So now Arkansas moves from number 12 all the way down to number 16. Uh, Your top 10 for uh, looking at next season, you have UConn at number one, and it says uh, it's based on the Huskies returning five of the top six scorers next year. Uh, the only player, the only player not returning is Jordan Hawkins. So they're assuming that everybody, almost everybody, will be returning next season, yep. along yep. with a top five recruit recruiting class. And a quick little tidbit: this guy Castle sounds more than just a point guard. Uh, he's five star recruit from Georgia, currently in Georgia. Obviously, athlete hotbed, and he's he's six foot six. So, I mean, this guy could be, like, superstar style. I mean, he's bigger and faster, it sounds like, than Hawkins. So he might be their best player right out of the gate. He, he sounds like a, that tremendous of a talent. He's got to do it, but, I mean, this guy's got some crazy skills. Question is, though, you know, uh, will he be able to live up to it, though? Because we saw what happened with Nick Smith Jr. this year oh, yeah. uh, with oh, Arkansas. Oh, walk, you know, walk, once he, he got in, he got injured and he never got on his he never got off of his feet. Yeah, and I mean, come on, potential is the most dangerous word in sports. I know he's got a lot more hard work. Nothing to give him. He could be a total bust, but he's. They're saying this guy should be really fabulous. You know, we'll see if he if he follows through, has the work ethic. You know, keeps on the straight and narrow. There's a million different ways to fall off course, but like skill wise, this guy's through the roof. We'll see what he does. Yeah, I would not be I would not be surprised though. Uh it, it sounds like UConn uh will be the favorite to win back to back national titles next year. I mean if you have a six foot six star guard and then you have the Indy Sonogo back, definitely the, the seven foot two big man back. Right there you have that's like sounds like two lottery picks. You got a seven two big and an and an awesome six foot six point guard. And then you got some of these role players coming back. I mean Sounds pretty lethal. We'll see. Right. Uh, then starting starting at number two, they have Purdue uh, listed at number two, and it says that they're expecting that the top seven scorers uh, from the team that won the Big Ten national title uh, from the the Big Ten uh, uh, regular season title is is expected to uh, all seven of those players are apparently expected to return. Uh, next season, and obviously uh, Zach Eady, Zach Eady has a has a decision to make. But right now, it looks like they're projecting him to. Stay. He didn't. I mean, he didn't show up. I think his mom. Did. Great story, great kid. But I mean, come on, he didn't even. He was like a uh, Houdini. He didn't even show up. He's like Chris Angel disappearing in the biggest game. He definitely, for his manhood and for his draft stock, he has to go back for one more year. If they've, I mean, that, talking about a team with talent, they're they're probably more talented than UConn ever was. The roster, I mean. Two or three years in a row, these guys just colossal collapses. So I mean, yeah, that, I mean, come on, they're like so overdue, but they just they just absolutely, you know what? They just crap out, mystifying. I don't know if that's coaching or what. 
On the uh, number three, they have Marquette. Then number four, they have Miami. Number five, yeah. they have FAU. Wow, nice. N- number six, they have Alabama. Number seven, they have Duke is UCLA. Number nine is Creighton, and number 10 is Kansas. So Kansas falls all the way from number one to number 10. Yep. Power of a big march, you know, the power of a run or the power of a collapse. You see it there. And then and then look at look uh, on the flip side, on the positive side, to a team like FAU. What are they, four or five, you just said? Uh, yeah, they, they are number five. That's awesome. I mean, talk about – Talk about just a momentum, uh, just a, a game-changing, program-changing run. Now they're top five. That's incredible. We'll see how their recruits come in. Now they're going to get transfers coming in. Maybe now they're just going to start catching fire for the next decade. Possibly. Yeah, I want to. I want to get your thoughts on. Uh, obviously, I, I messaged you about this earlier this week, uh, and I brought this up obviously earlier earlier in this podcast. The WWE is now under the same banner as the UFC, being officially sold to Endeavor for wow. a value a value of nine point three billion dollars is what WWE is estimated at now as a result of this deal. Endeavor will own 51% of the new company, the new combined company, uh, UFC and WWE, are going to be combined, basically, uh, while WWE shareholders will get 49% of the deal. And it says that that Ari Emanuel, who Vince McMahon has apparently known for like 25 years, uh, is expected to act as the chief executive of both Endeavor and this new company. Uh, Vince McMahon will, rem- or he will uh, expect to be the executive chairman of the new company. There you while go. Endeavor president, uh, while Endeavor president Mark Shapiro will also work in the same role at this new company. Mark Shapiro, formerly of ESPN, he was big in hockey through the years. I interned over there. Funny guy, bit of a prick, but a lot of the big wigs are. Yeah, I mean, overall, um, I view both sports. I really love both. I'm not hardcore. I'm not going to sit here and name, speak three hours on different stats and, and title holders and stuff. I just don't know enough. Um, but, yeah, I think it's perfect for the fans. They're both awesome. I love both 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 sports, and they're entertainment, and they're fierce, incredible athletes, too. Um, I think it's perfect. I mean, Vince didn't leave. I mean, we were talking about this a couple months ago, Steve. You know, somehow, some way, that guy wasn't – he wasn't going to go far. He wasn't going to, you know, going to become a secretary somewhere. You know he was going to still become involved even after all the craziness. Right. That, you, know, he, you know, he wasn't going to stay far away from his baby. Now, you know, new family, well, uh, same well, bloodline. You know, I brought, yeah, I, brought, I brought this up uh, earlier tonight as well. Uh, there's been reports that some wrestlers – uh, with everything that went on this past week, uh, this past week in the company, uh, with with Vince McMahon seemingly being back in control, uh, Raw was rewritten like three different times during the show. Uh, plus, plus the antics of what happened at WrestleMania 39 Night Two, 
you know, yeah. there there were questions uh, there were questions among the talent like, okay, are we going to have to go back to walking on eggshells again? Uh, sure. You know, is creative going to go back to being shit again like it was before Triple H took over? I mean, you're yep. starting to see some wrestlers talk about potentially walking out on the company or just allowing their deals to expire and not even not even negotiate uh, any new deals. That's fine. I mean, it's almost like uh, well, I don't know, there's been rumblings. It's hard to compare to other sports, but there's been times that, oh, we're going to leave. There's going to be a boycott. Well, you know, if you still have 95% of the top athletes and you still have millions of people and you and Luke got me back into wrestling and UFC, I'm really starting to love it more and more the last, you know, six months to a year. But, I mean, you're not going to – it's not going to tarnish the fan base. So, let's say if, if four or five wrestlers leave, you still have you, – you could sit here and name 80, 90 awesome, fun, entertaining, great wrestlers. You, you know what I mean? It's not like – Jordan, Bird, and Magic Johnson in the 80s are going to leave the NBA, right? I'm sorry. It's right. a freight train. Few people leave. I don't mean to sound like a, you know, go cry, you know, I'll see you later. But, I mean, they're not going to suffer. They're not going to pack up their bags and quit the, 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 the industry if a few big names leave. So be it. They'll keep going. Uh, it makes too much money. So if people want yeah, to throw I mean, that, seed, that's fine. It's not going to – Vince McMahon and his buddy, they're not going to shed a tear. Yeah, they did make they did make about one point two nine billion dollars this past year. Yeah, someone wants uh, to leave from have the, they have the the scouts that you know they have that great feeder system. Yeah, you, know, you know what I mean. They have the younger wrestlers coming in every every week or two. It seems. Yeah, you don't want to lose too many big names, but if a couple people leave, you know, you just keep moving, keep moving. You're either in or you're out. It's not going to slow down their product or their success. However, though, there is one wrestler that they may lose that could actually be very detrimental to the company, considering he is the top star overseas. Uh, Drew McIntyre is uh, Drew McIntyre is considered to be the top uh, Irish or Scottish. I forget. I forget what nationality he is, but he's supposed to be like the top star from the United Kingdom basically in the company right now. And there's a rumor going around that he is unhappy with the way he is being treated, not just in terms of creative, but also in terms of the money that WWE has offered him on a new con on a new potential contract. And and I've heard he's like Dana White. I've heard these guys, sometimes Vince and Dana, they love, uh, you know, they could their ass with hundred dollar bills and not even blink. And sometimes they still lowball some of these great athletes that you know have broken backs and concussions and PTSD. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't surprise me that WWE is you know kind of lowballing people, which sucks, but that's what they can do. So if they lose a guy like that, though, Steve, I mean, you know the powers that be, you know, the scouts and stuff, they'll be looking for other people in Ireland and Scotland right now to develop, and they'll just they'll just move on eventually. Problem is, though, I mean, this guy is probably the biggest star that they've ever had from overseas. So, and the way that, let's put it, let's put it this way. WWE under Vince, if Vince is back to running the company, they're not going to create any new stars. That's interesting. Vince, Vince doesn't create new stars. 
anymore. Well, he's got to change that or else, I mean, he's just going to bleed money until he passes away because that's, that's ridiculously outdated and that, that business model is not going to fly anymore. So, I mean, hell, his, his last star that he created, many would argue, was John Cena all the way back in, like, 2003, 2004. Yeah, I didn't think of it that way. That's very interesting. Or, or no, no, actually, no, I'm wrong. I should say Dave Batista probably, from 2005. Okay. Dave Batista would be more, uh, you know, would be more along those lines. But still, uh, still you know, eight, it's... Eight years. It's 18 years. It's been a while. Yeah. And... Here's the thing. They had the opportunity. I don't know if you if you paid attention much to uh, the most recent WrestleMania. They had the opportunity to create a, a megastar in Cody Rhodes by having him dethrone Roman Reigns, who is who has held uh, the title, in particular the Universal title, for. Let's see what is his what is his number at now? Uh, it's in the nine hundreds. Um, wow. Hang on. It is at nine hundred and fifty-one days that he has held the title. I get what you're saying. Perfect opportunity to kind of pass the torch. Obviously, still keep Roman Reigns in play for you know three different revenge matches down the road. But yeah, maybe time to uh, pass the torch and. Uh, Share the ratings and share the share the glory with someone else. Yeah, Dusty Rhodes yeah. is like big up, and they're just not being savvy enough marketing by not kind of shifting gears over to, to Rhodes. You're right, I noticed that. And it just kind of told me. It, it just kind of said to me, uh, you know, as I said earlier tonight before you joined on, I said at this point they might as well just have him hold the tie. If like Cody Rhodes was the last opportunity that they had really to take the title off of Roman Reigns because if uh, there's nobody that they will be able to build that would be realistic enough to be able to take that title off of him at this point if you're not going to have Cody Rhodes take it off of him they might as well just have him hold it, hold on to it for like the next seven years so that they can break Pedro Morales's record or whoever currently holds the record for the WWE championship. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's sad at this point, the fact that, uh, you know, it it also, they already had t-shirts printed uh, that he wore at the uh, wrestle at the post WrestleMania press conference that said, Russell, that, that, you know, they gave T-shirts that said WrestleMania champion for whoever the champion was for each specific title. And they already had Roman Reigns fucking wearing it. So it's like, you know, why, why do you even put on, put on the show then? If yeah. it, it's, it's obvious you already had the title, you already had the T-shirts planned out and you probably have a T-shirt planned out for whenever he passes a thousand days. And I'm sorry, come on, man. But uh, let's go, let's call it spade a spade. That's also that's also a damn slap in the face to fans. I mean, come on, at least build it up a little, please. Come on. I yeah. Else are we just? Do you want us to just tune back in, in two years or three years when we think he's going to lose? Like that's kind of playing with the fans' uh, psyches and 
kind of insulting to their sports knowledge, too. I mean, he's held on to it for 951 days right now. Bruno yeah. San Martino's Bruno San Martino's record is 2,803 days, and if there's realistic talk that they want they want him to break Bruno San Martino's record, you might as well you might as well have fans tune out for the next uh, hell like six to seven years, <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. come back in seven years when he finally drops it. Yeah, doesn't. I, I, Looking at it again, I'm still learning more and more about wrestling. But, uh, yeah, it doesn't seem like a brilliant uh, marketing play here. Kind of playing with, uh, you know, just kind of taking fans for granted. Uh, you got to have yeah. some mystique and some intrigue and some different, uh, you know, out-of-nowhere storyline changes here. A little bit of, uh, you know, surprises. Come on. Yeah. And, you know, it, it kind of brought up what a uh, what a WWE Hall of Famer recently said. Uh, Kurt Angle said, uh, you know, obviously he's uh, he's an Olympic gold medalist. You know, uh, anybody who doesn't know Kurt Angle, uh, who doesn't know who Kurt Angle is, look up your Olympic <laughs> history. You'll know who he is. He won yeah. the gold medal with a broken fucking neck. Uh, yeah, one of the total but, badasses. Yeah, uh, you know the whole the whole thing about uh, from what he said, he basically said, you know, this isn't the uh, you know th- this isn't. Where, uh, the the era where they have territories anymore, the, it's not like it's not like there's territories where, you know, oh wrestlers weren't on television. It's not like back in the day when wrestlers weren't on television every single week, and people sure. would actually have to pay to go to the shows to watch these wrestlers wrestle. You know, it's not Absolutely. like wrestling was on TV all that often. Like Bruno San Martino, there's a reason why he held the title for 2,803 days. Because yeah, people he was the big kids. They, they take their kids, their grandkids to a wrestling uh, WrestleMania or something that's five weeks away, and they drive four hours to go see it. Now it's a lot more fluid. There's a lot more matches, TV on the internet. I mean, they they have to be more creative and change things up much quicker now. They're really playing with fire. Yeah, and I said, you know, I said this uh, when I was talking with uh, with one of our producers, with uh, with Jim, uh, who's been on the show a couple of times. I said if they do not do this with Cody, and they decide to keep the belt on Roman, I don't have any problems with them keeping the belt on Roman as long as they have a direction that they're going. You know, in terms of uh, in terms of story. But to me, it was like now they've set it up to where Roman basically gets to take the next pay-per-view off, and they're basically counting down the days to uh, until he uh, br- until he breaks the one thousand uh, the one thousand day mark as yeah, champion. Taking the really and, knowledgeable heart fans for granted, and they're playing with fire. That's it. Yeah, it's it's basically uh, you know I told I told I told Jim I said. They are not going to, you know, uh, Cody is not going to get as big of a reaction as he would have gotten at WrestleMania if he had won the title. Uh, uh, you know, I've heard some people say, oh, well, he'll win it. They'll have him win it at SummerSlam. Nobody's going to give a fuck about SummerSlam. WrestleMania no. is the one big event that title that title changes 
like that are expected at. Yeah. I mean, that's the creme de la creme right there. It's just kind of like a dissatisfactory, you know, it's like NIT championship. That second rank, you know, that second tier, it doesn't mean as much. You're right. They should have that so, happen nope. the best venue, the biggest spotlight. Yeah. So if he wins the title, if he wins the title at at SummerSlam, nobody's going to give a fuck about SummerSlam. The time to have him, you know, if you're going to have him win it at SummerSlam, why didn't you have him win it at WrestleMania? Yeah. Now again, this is the creative department, uh, the powers that be, the, the the people, you know, with the pads and pens. They got to be better than that. They're fucking brain dead. It's just plain and simple. Like, it's lazy. To me, it basically to me it basically spells out that they don't that they don't see Cody Rhodes as being capable of of putting the company on his back. Basically, yeah. I mean, you you portrayed it. You you laid it out very well for the listeners and for the people still you know that love the sport, but there's still plenty to learn. Like me, quote unquote, pass the torch. You know, change the record player. Put on something new. You know, let it let a new you know big dog you know have his day. And uh, you know, I mean, they, is going for, uh, he's going to be a champion. You know, thirty thirty three straight years. You know, something's got to give. Here. You know, yeah. They, I mean, they made the right move taking the titles off of his cousins, the Usos. They made the right move there in putting the titles on on Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens because that was the end of that story. That sure. was. Uh, you know, where, I mean, ob- obviously, you know, Sami Zayn didn't win the world title off of, uh, off of Roman Reigns, but really the, the story was never about Roman Reigns and Sami Zayn. It was about Sami Zayn and Jay Uso. And that played, uh, you know, that, uh, that paid off at WrestleMania night one with Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens taking the titles off of the Usos, uh, which, yeah. you know, for their, uh, in their case, you know, they had a record broken of their own. They're, they held the record for the longest uh, WWE tag team title reign of all time, which was like 600 plus days, I think it was. So that reign was broken, which made a lot of sense because it made sense for the story. I mean, let's, let's even break it down. Maybe that maybe the NBA fan or the, you know, football fan and the 20 year old or the 65 year old that hasn't watched a lot of wrestling it, no one wants to see the warriors win seven rings in a row right or or the old miners awesome you know joe montana i remember that growing up you know cool let's let's let someone else have a little glory let's uh you know bring in a couple wild cards gotta change it up man the best product in the world eventually goes stale if you don't change something exactly you know it's it's just it's Mind-boggling. Honestly, it's mind-boggling what they decided to do with this. Uh, and even, uh, even Jim, you know, Jim texted me right after it happened, and he basically texted in all capital letters, what the fuck? Like, what yeah. the fuck just happened? Uh, did they really go this route? And, you know, I told him, I said, you know, I'm real glad that I stayed up to watch this when I could have just gone to sleep and woken up and I uh, woken up the next morning and not be surprised at all by the results. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was really fucking pissed. 
yeah, you're like, okay, I'm going to just watch this on the outside chance that they're going to wise up and, you know, sharpen up and finally change gears just to, just to make it creative. Nope. They did what you feared. I mean, the previous – here's the thing. The previous two WrestleManias, it made sense. It, it made sense for Roman to defend the title officially. Uh, like, in, in particular, let's see. Hang on. Um, WrestleMania, WrestleMania 37. It made sense for him to defend the title against Edge and Daniel Bryan because there, he, you know, he was he was still at the beginning of his title reign. Uh, he was starting up the whole uh, tribal chief thing and whatnot. So it made sure. sense for him to keep for him to keep the titles there. It made sense for him to keep the titles at last year's WrestleMania where he where he wrestled Brock Lesnar yep. officially unify and officially unifying the titles where he would get uh or he would keep his universal title and he would win the WWE title. It made sense for that. Sure. This this one made absolutely no sense whatsoever. Let's just lazy scripts lazy creative department and maybe uh maybe it'll catch up to him bite him somehow another thing that didn't make sense and you know i'm gonna get off of wrestling in a little bit here uh was one of their biggest stars that they've had in recent memory one of their biggest uh african-american stars bobby lashley oh they keep him they, they keep him off of wrestlemania this year by having him win the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal on SmackDown uh, the Friday before, and then all of a sudden they have him come out in order to fill out in order to fill up time instead of putting him in a match, they have him come out with the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal trophy and parade it around basically like. Uh, you know, like like it's uh like it's some sort of big fucking accomplishment, and just have him walk back to the ba- walk have him walk backstage after that. That's where people it's are like, like going to get cotton candy and uh, double fist and beers, doing whatever on their phones. Oh yeah, this yeah. guy's out. Let's kill, kill a couple minutes. Yeah, whoever, get him off the stage. He's done. It's like the the dude could have just gone home after Friday night. Yeah, this is a, this, keep in mind. Keep in mind too. This is a former world champion too that they did this to. I know him well. I mean, Lashley's awesome. I, he, it's, it's basically a gigantic slap in the face. I mean, there, there were plans to put him in a match against LA Knight, uh, who many many people may remember him as. Uh, Oh my God! Who was he in in TNA? Uh, hang on. LA Knight. He was Eli Drake in Impact Wrestling. A lot of people remember him from. Uh, but you know, he became LA Knight when he came to WWE, and he got massively over with the crowd. Sure. And instead, they decide to keep him off of WrestleMania, <laughs> even though there was there was a rumor that he would wrestle Bobby Lashley at WrestleMania in an impromptu match. And instead, they give that spot to Shane McMahon, who ends up paying homage to his father by tearing his quad 
in an impromptu match against The Miz, much like his father years ago did at the Royal Rumble when he tore both of his quads, just trying to get into the <laughs> ring. Tore his ankle monitor off and his quad, just like his father. Yeah, I mean, curious, my uh, curious God. Lately, so they, they won't celebrate a legend like Lashley, and they won't praise a young blood, you know, a newfound talented guy like um, Cody like Rhodes. So they're just kind of just riding this, this uh, you know, driving 55 instead of changing gears and speeding things up and making things a little bit more exciting. It's weak. It's boring, conservative, I'll, and it's risky. I'll tell you right now, I know exactly how Vince works. If he is officially back in control, he's going to be calling Goldberg to have him to have him sign a new deal and come in and challenge uh, challenge. Uh, Roman Reigns again and, you know, give Roman Reigns a very easy victory. (laughs) I guarantee you that's exactly what's going to happen because, you know, many, many uh, major fans, you know, diehard fans have seen this shit from Vince so many times over, over the last however many years. It comes as no surprise. So I guess him him still you know not straying far from his baby. Maybe it's not maybe it's just not good for the, for his baby anymore. Not good for the sport. They're just they're they're getting exactly. Chaos. This doesn't sound too enticing to to the casual fan who's they're trying to hook. You know, not gonna you're not gonna maintain, you're not gonna sustain and retain some of the loyal fans who are getting fed up, and you're certainly not gonna get the new fans of the same person every single time you tune in if if nothing exciting changes. Well, it's not thing, a recipe the thing for is, uh, more ratings. I, it's a recipe for mediocrity. That's what it is. The thing is, I like in terms of Roman Reigns, I don't have a problem with him keeping the titles as long as it no. makes sense. Let it look justifiable and, and, and legit, not just totally half-assed and, and backdoor. But then what they but then what they did for you know I say that and then what they did this past week on Raw. Uh, it looked like Cody Rhodes was going to challenge Roman to a rematch for WrestleMania Backlash. Instead, Brock Lesnar attacks him in the main event, and it sets up Brock Lesnar versus Cody Rhodes for WrestleMania Backlash, and Roman gets to have the pay-per-view off. Wow. So, basically, it's I, I see I, I clearly uh, very easily see what they're doing with. With this, they're going to have Roman, uh, or no, they're going to have Cody Rhodes fill the role of John Cena, where he gets his ass kicked by Brock Lesnar the entire match, only to win at the very last second, like what happened you know what a couple say, of years I'm, ago. I'm the, my, my first name's Alex. I'm definitely not some wacko piece of shit like that, Alex Jones. But let's let's look at a little conspiracy. Let's go out on a branch. Maybe uh, maybe Roman Reigns is some ridiculously bad dirt on Vince McMahon. Maybe he's literally untouchable. Maybe he's like calling the shots. I mean, that is that, does that sound far fetched? I mean, why else is he like bulletproof and literally he's going to what, just retain the belt for the next 40 years. What's going on? Uh, here? I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't go that far because, you know, if, the, if anybody had dirt on Vince McMahon, there was, uh, there, uh, there would be a whole bunch of bull that Vince has dealt with in the past that could very easily uh, unleash some of that dirt. So I don't think well, he has a lot of any garbage dirt on Vince. Up. Yeah. 
But still, I, I mean, it's a ve- it's a very good conspiracy theory. But you know, there's I mean, been so random. many people that have dealt with him in the past that they could have, if they wanted to, they could have uh, they could have released whatever information they have on Vince. Sure, I'm just, I just, yeah, it sounds ridiculous, preposterous. Roman Reigns, like apparently, he's just always going to be the champ now. <laughs> it's it's not good for the sport, unless. The only thing that I that I feel will redeem it is if Roman loses it at next year's WrestleMania. If they do something where Cody, if they do the long term thing with Cody, where Cody challenges challenges him again next year, kind of like what they did with John Cena and The Rock, where John Cena lost to The Rock at WrestleMania 28, and then he wrestled him again at WrestleMania 29, but this time the rock had the title because the first match, the first match was just a regular match. Nobody had the title, but then the rock had the title. Uh, The rock then lost to John Cena at WrestleMania 29. The rock went away for a little bit and, you know, it, it basically paid off a whole, year-long story, or a couple of years-long story. So maybe perhaps that's the same thing that they're doing here with Cody and Roman, which, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I guess, I guess I wouldn't have a problem with it, but it's just so, such a damn long time, you know? It's, it's kind of like, can I really wait another 365 days for – for that to take place. Uh, Amen. Anyways, uh, going over to the NFL, uh, we do yeah, have some. We do have some news that came out. According to Pro Football Talks, Mike Florio, who reported earlier this week that the Patriots have shopped Mac Jones to several teams during this off season. Your boys on the block. And it says here that, according to Florio, some of the teams they've talked with are the Raiders, the Texans, Uh the Buccaneers, and the Commanders. Buccaneers, perfect sense. Commanders wake up every day desperate for a quarterback. Yeah, those all make perfect sense. And Florio claims that a trade could still happen. As a matter of fact, he said the Raiders are the ones to keep watching. As Jimmy uh-huh. Garoppolo's Jimmy Garoppolo's contract lands in the low end of middle class for starters, and yeah. Jones has two years left under a slotted rookie deal before his fifth year option would apply. I mean, salary cap wise, they could have a, a battle. Hey, Jimmy, we know we brought you in. We never said we were marrying you for a decade. Now you're fighting Mac. Let the best man win out of training camp. Yeah, basically, basically, it sounds like they could potentially have they could afford under their current, uh, you know, the, un, under their current, uh, you know, salary cap situation, they could afford to bring in Mac Jones and have both Mac and Garoppolo in the same uh, in the same season. Yeah, don't get me. I'm not. I'm not saying he's going to be. Uh, you know. Justin Herbert, uh, Joey, cool Joe, Ice, Joe Burrow, but I mean, and, and Steve, you know, I always praise, I, I respect the Patriots, obviously all the glory, 
But, I mean, they could not have handled this young kid's career any worse than they have. So it would not shock me if Mac Jones goes somewhere and becomes an all-pro. Because, I mean, they're oh, absolutely fumbling. They're just slapping this guy in the face. Like, basically, bring him in, ignore him, mistreat him, you know, have, have a couple different guys in headsets. No one knows how to call a play. Still no real weapons. This is just ridiculous. Mac's, Mac's eager to get out of town. Right. I, you know, I, I 100% agree. And totally bullshitted him the whole time since he's been a Patriot. They've totally effed him over. It says here that Patriots coach Bill Belichick was reportedly agitated with Jones for his on-field tantrums during yeah. this season and for seeking yeah. outside help in improving the struggling Patriots offense. According to, yeah, like, according can someone, to NBC, can someone, can someone tell me like why? Can someone tell me why they're ruining my career and running blinds? Like, do, is there any leadership that that's actually dialed in? Like, I thought Bill Belichick was a guru, and they're just mistreating me. Like, Matt's got a lot of really good questions that he's asking because they're not acting normal in New England. Yeah, yeah. And according to NBC Sports' Tommy Curran. Uh, he said that it really pissed Bill off, and it's possible that the Patriots Good. could take a quarterback in the draft if they deal Jones. <laughs> and, and do the same thing over. Yeah. They could. And as a matter of fact, they're looking at potentially Anthony Richardson. Oh, my gosh. Give me a break, dude. Yeah, he can throw a ball into the stands on third and four. The absolute opposite of a ball control smart field general. Sorry. Plenty of potential, but I mean, so raw, so erratic. And that'd be a disaster. Give me a break. Well, that's apparently what they're looking at. And yeah, you know, I got, I got to tell you, um, ridiculous. I think. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, first off, they need to give. Uh, the, the, here, here's the thing that that kind that of guy's such a project. Uh, He's not on the timeline of Bill Belichick or anyone. He's three years away from being a a starter, still no weapons, right. and they're worried about bringing him in. Get a damn wide receiver, and then and then and then right. look at Mac Jones as a good coordinator, and give him 17 games. You know, give me a break. What worries, what worries me about Mac Jones is the fact that I, I honestly think that there's merit to this uh, to this story, and the reason being is because why else did the Patriots decide? You know what? We're just we're not going to bring back uh, Max's favorite receiver. We're not, you know, we're not going to bring back uh, Max guy. We're not going to bring back um, that's Jacoby Myers. We're not going to bring back Damian Harris, Max number one running back, and also Brian Hoyer, who was Max's mentor in the uh, in the big leagues since being I drafted. Know, I- they speaking out and kind of rocking the boat. You don't speak out against Bill or else you're you're on a one-way ticket out. Right. You don't go against Bill. You don't go against Bill. And so, yeah. Max, Max said, hey, I, you know, what's going on here? And Bill's like, shit, this guy's talking junk. Get him out of here. That's what makes me think that there is merit to this story and that he may oh, yeah. not be on the Patriots roster week one. Let's be honest. I mean, I, I think, hey, I'll, I'll give him a high five. I mean, not the biggest Mac Jones believer. He's got a lot of potential. He's in a terrible situation, and they've done him dirty. So, yeah, he raised his voice and said, dude, what's going on? Can, can someone tell me? So, yeah, he'll talk to someone else outside the team because he's getting mistreated. And then Bill's like, oh, you want to go against me? You're gone. That's, that's Bill's ego right there on center stage. 
I'll tell you right now, I would not be surprised at all. And I know this is very unpatriot-like, considering the fact that they don't like to pay high stars. I would not be surprised at all if they trade, if they wait until after the draft, trade Mac Jones, uh, because after the draft, you're going to see which quarterback or which teams are quarterback needy, depending on if they don't take quarterbacks in the draft. Yeah, it's going to shake tra- a couple things. It's going, to, it's going to answer some questions. Yep. You trade Mac Jones either during the draft or after the draft, and then they will sign Lamar Jackson. I just have a, you know, it may seem very unlikely, but I just have a feeling. Because what do you of get, all what the, the praise. Uh, yeah, sorry, Steve. Go for it, man. Well, I was just going to say, because of all the praise that Belichick has given uh, Lamar Jackson whenever he's faced him during the regular yeah. season. I mean, maybe they're lying in the weeds. One thing you can credit them, Patriots usually, you know, they don't run around going, I'm in love, I'm going to do this, I'm going to sell the house to do this. No, they, they keep everything kind of quiet and in-house. So maybe they're quietly plotting that. I mean, just riddled me this, though. What are they getting for Mac Jones now that they basically look like made him look like a, you know, a head case stooge? What are they getting, a fifth-round fifth, fifth round pick? Two years ago, they burned a first on him? What are they getting? A four, maybe a fourth rounder? No, 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 I'm, no, no. Let's let's keep in mind. I'm not giving up a third round. I'm not giving up a high pick for Mac Jones. He just hasn't shown anything. Let's keep in mind he was a Pro Bowler his first year. Uh, yeah, yeah. Now, okay. an NFL an NFL insider claims that the Patriots would not get good or they would not get great value if they traded him. But I, I mean, obviously, you know, he's coming off of a down year because they I didn't, actively... I, didn't, I didn't hear that either. I, I didn't hear that either. I just I was just thinking about that. I would I probably wouldn't try to give up top value for him if I was running a team. But I mean, I'd give up I a mean, third rounder. Yeah, they did actively sabotage him though so yeah you know I would not be surprised you know you could probably get maybe a second round pick for Jones I think at the highest I I was just about to say Steve you could find someone to do that the Raiders might do that you know that they like to if they want someone they'll pay for it yeah I mean you can get a second one However, uh, there is a report by Albert Breer, who is a uh, NFL insider. Uh, he did say that Belichick did not call teams; that it was the teams that called Belichick on Jones. And yeah. I, I get it. I get a, a salt and pepper. I mean, some grain of salt with that. I mean, come on, Bill's going to always say, "Oh, I didn't say anything." Bill could be calling about anyone right now. Oh, I didn't call anyone. Again, they always misinformation. They always throw different signals to everyone. And they believe they also believe too that part of the reason is that they probably wouldn't get great value for him. No, which is why. why I know it's why they may not trade him. I would totally, I would totally go for a rock star move, man. I mean, Bill's not uh, getting any younger. If I were Bill, I'd want to do one more run and say, "Look, I can win without Brady." I would, I would try to get in on Aaron Rodgers even. Or, but like you said before, Steve, which I love, Lamar Jackson. I don't know what they're doing. I mean, get someone like that, yeah, and move Mac, and yeah, maybe you do get a second rounder. Just move on 
get a receiver with that second rounder, and then boom, you're 12 and four next year. Right now, the Patriots are going to be nine, whatever, nine win team. They're going to be. Eight and they're going to be. What, eight, what is, they're going to be back to eight and nine. Yeah, probably they're not what's doing going to happen. You want to shake it up and make and, and either get really good or just at least take a swing for the fences. You, how often is a Lamar Jackson and an Aaron Rodgers readily available in an offseason? True. Go get them. I mean, in my opinion, though. Deal. In my opinion, though, I would not. I would actually want to hang on to Mac Jones because he has proven that he can throw that you know he has the arm strength to get the ball downfield he's proven that he can throw the problem is he dealt with a dude who who, who's maybe the most idiotic coach offensively that i think we've ever seen in the nfl a dude who had no he had no reason coaching the offense and we're beating more drums you know than uh than rush or you know the mighty John Bonham Blood Zeppelin were beating all the drums. But just to keep beating that one drum, though, I mean, if you are going to keep Mac Jones, get a, get a number one. DeAndre Hopkins is basically yelling at his agent, keep telling the Patriots, I want to be a Patriot. Bill's like, no, we're not making a move. But dude, you're not going to win with four different number three receivers. So if you're going to keep right. the kid, surround him with weapons. Otherwise, you just, you're an eight-win team. So if you're going to go for it, surround him with weapons or get rid of him. This is the problem, though, is that Bill, if Bill pays anybody, he only pays defensive guys. Good for him, dude. That model Because defense is his specialty. Time's running out. He needs to swing for the fences, get one guy. Yeah, it's not going to crush your cap to get a DeAndre Hopkins. It's not. No. And again, how often is he available? Make a move now or whatever. Five years from now, you can go, well, maybe I should have done something. Well, now's the time. Do it now. And what I read, I read, do not be surprised if Belichick is massively on the hot seat. Do yeah, not be no surprised shit. at all. If, if, if they have a bad year this year, do not be surprised if he gets fired. I should be sleeping on a bed of lava at this point. He should be burning. His ass should be on fire. I mean, give me a break. He's been absolutely coasting on that job for three or, for two or three years now. He needs to really wake up, and they need to get back in the playoffs, or else this story's done. He's gone. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, basically the consensus is that Robert Kraft is running out of patience, essentially. Good for him. That's and I know you are. Some oh, sort of... I know a lot of. I know a lot of great. Proud Patriot fans like yourself are running out of patience. I mean, this is this is unacceptable. Yeah, if anything, we're if anything, we're just pissed off that Belichick is seemingly actively ruining the development yeah. of of Mac Jones. Hundred percent. That's what Patriot it's fans are pissed mystifying. off. At. It's it's absolutely unexplainable. And sorry, you're not the uh, that who's the, the moron. Uh, you know, the Denver coach who had them kicking, you know, Russell Wilson. He has no, he's not some rookie head coach or he's not a deer in the headlights. I mean, Bill knows better. So he's obviously pissed off. He doesn't want to be there. He's already halfway, you know, on an island in Maui, retired. If, right. he, if he doesn't care, get out. If, if, if you want to be here, you better work hard. You know, there's a lot of young coaches like uh, McVay, you know, when he was doing well, or, you know, Sirianni in Philly. 
a lot of people want to be the, the next coach of the Patriots. So either, you know, step up or get out. Exactly. You know, it's just, it's just mystifying, honestly, uh, Alex, <laughs> the, uh, everything that has, that has gone on. And with such a proud, with such a proud historical, you know, background. I, and I know I say that a lot, but it's true. With these different, you know, franchises, it's like they know better. And this coach is just, it, it just, he just obviously doesn't care. So it's just like, it's time to change it. it it's time to change it up, man. For, for the fan base. It's not fair to them. Right. I mean, I mean, look at, look at it this way. How can you have a quarterback go from having a solid rookie year to all of a sudden just completely collapsing like we've seen out of the, you know, out of this past, uh, out of this past season, how can somebody take that big of a step back? It's got to be, you know, 99 times out of 100, you know, you don't have to be Nostradamus or a guru. I mean, it's got to be coaching or something behind the scenes. So, yeah, good for you, Mac. You, you, you spec book out about it. It's something's not right. Yeah, it's just, honestly, it's, it's just mind-boggling. Uh, you know, the fact that Bill thinks that, that he can still win with uh you know very minimal uh with very minimal talent i mean this, you know this is a guy who brought in Kembrell Tompkins and uh what's what the fuck was his face Aaron Dobson i think uh yeah, Dob- you know uh, this is a guy who brought in little you know little pieces uh, for for a guy who is a great who was who was on his way to being the greatest of all time. Yeah, and, and you know he really thought that the, he really thought that they could help deliver the Patriots to another Super Bowl. Yeah, a quick little you know ten twelve second little analogy. You know, minus the rings. Hey, the Eagles, my beloved Eagles, were rolling. Andy Reid, we always were close to the big dance. We we're always you know thirteen win team, fourteen win team. Yeah, you know, they had, you know, McNabb every year. Oh, yeah, we're going to add this number three receiver and that number four receiver. And then they suddenly – and then he hired an offensive line, uh, offensive line coach to uh, coach defense. Near the end, he was having different people wear headsets. Like, he wasn't really answering the media right. And Philly fired him. God bless Reed. Now he's doing awesome in KC. But, like, it kind of reminds me of that. The Belcher just doesn't really care. He's like, I can win. My team doesn't need a number one receiver. I know how to win. It's like, dude, you don't have Tom Brady anymore. The times have changed. I don't know. Yeah, you know, like I said, it's just it's just mind-boggling the way he's going about things at this point. And, you know, he's just going to continue fucking around to the point of where, it, you know, it, it just, we're going to really see how much, patience Robert Kraft has now with this whole uh with this whole situation. They're one in five. You know, might 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 not shock me, you know, in uh, October if we wake up in ESPN Monday morning. Uh breaking news, Bob Kraft has let go of Bill Belichick. I mean, he's gotta be on a short ash leash right now. 
One would think, yeah. Although, you know, it does sound like maybe perhaps there is some offensive help along, uh, on the way because be there is there is talk that uh, Zay Flowers may be drafted by the Patriots in the first round. They have to they have to shake the room, Steve. I'm sorry, man. Even the Jets, they're getting a little bit better, and you know Miami's here. Buffalo's nasty. Like you said, eight wins at best. They they really got to make some big moves, or else he's gone. Oh yeah, I mean right. You know, right now you're looking at or, or, at you know, best or, maybe if, in the eight and nineteen. If you're in the basement of the AFC East, you you literally mathematically cannot you cannot be above five hundred. You know, if right. they're like bottom feeders in their own division, you know, might as well go to the XFL. I mean, they really have to make some moves here, man, or else it's done. Time to turn the page and get rid of Bill. That's that's the only option. Yeah, and you know, it's it it doesn't help either the fact that uh, you know, you look at you look at the AFC East right now, and the Patriots. The Patriots are probably looking at being in the cellar of the AFC East, if anything. Which is, which is no, there's no excuse. I, that, that feels weird for me to say that. I shouldn't be saying that. It's like that's just, there's no excuse for that. That's where they are. Right. That's where they are. No that's where it looks like they're going to be. No one's no one's supposed to be able to say that as a football fan, but that's that's the reality right now. Looking at their roster. Right. Uh, also uh, around the league, uh, former Cardinals executive Terry McDonough has apparently brought an NFL arbitration claim against Cardinals owner Michael Bidwill for gross misconduct, including cheating, discrimination, and harassment. McDonough claims that his career opportunities dried up after he and then-Cardinals coach Steve Wilkes objected to going along with a scheme to, cor- to, to communicate with former Cardinals GM Steve Kern, then on a league suspension for DUI via burner phones. He also claims that Bidwill created an environment of fear for minority employees and reduced two pregnant women to tears after screaming at them with abusive and bullying mistreatment. The Cardinals have responded to this arbitration claim in a statement calling it wildly false, reckless, and an opportunistic ploy for financial gain. Yeah, we'll see, man. Oftentimes where there's smoke, there's fire. Sounds like there's a lot of smoke in that house. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Of course, big shot attorneys are going to act like he's uh, Mother Teresa. I bet $10 there's something going on there. Exactly, because why else would it come up? And you, you know, you know, you obviously, of course, that the owners are going to defend each other. I'm not. I can't can't look at the guy's finances. I'm assuming the guy's probably almost like a billionaire. But if you don't go along with them and don't cover something dirty, and they let go, yeah, that's that's career. That's you know, you're almost ruining that person's career. So I'm glad that those guys are going against that owner. Good for them. Good for them. Yeah, and you know, you know that the owners are gonna are gonna, of course, defend each other. So. Of course. I mean, it it shouldn't really come at much as a, of, of a surprise to uh, people when it comes to the owners. You're fighting like big corporation, big pharma. It's not going to be a, an easy hill to climb, but kudos to them for having the balls to uh, raise their hand. And hope their attorneys are good, and it's going to be ugly, but 
Hey, go for it, man. If someone mis- mistreats you, go to bat and, and speak up. Exactly. Uh, by the way, uh, John Elway, apparently he is officially stepping away from football for good after no longer being with the uh, Denver Broncos in a contractual basis. Uh, he has officially walked away from the game of football. I think the last straw was they had like a charity Madden tournament and you had to run a franchise and Elway logged in and literally still cannot pick a decent quarterback after 200 chances. So he just said, you know what? I'm done with football. I mean, the guy literally <laughs> cannot pick a quarterback. Pretty sharp. I'm pretty sharp. I nailed that one. Yeah. I mean, literally. Yeah. Like oh the quarterback whisperer, it's like, it's like Michael Jordan can't pick a roster in Charlotte. Yeah. Elway just could not identify a good quarterback. Shocking. Yeah. Speaking of quarterbacks, too, uh, Ravens general manager Eric DaCosta has said that there is a possibility that the Baltimore Ravens will take a quarterback in the first round. Yeah, got to plan for life without the, the man. If the man says he's leaving, or, you know, the leader, then plan for life the, the next day after, man. It's all being smart. They don't want to do it, but they're, they're making their plan. I mean, even though even though they're negotiating right now with him. So it sounds to yeah. me like maybe perhaps there's – maybe perhaps the negotiations just aren't going well, period, and that he's on his way out. Also, it could be a little bit of a – Lamar, if you really don't want to be here, you know, for $100 million a year, then we're planning for life without you. So they're kind of sending a, a signal right there by talking about drafting another quarterback. They're kind of pushing him to – hopefully, you know, agree to something. I mean, this is it. Exactly. But, I, hope he uh, England, that, Steve. I hope he goes to New England. Hopefully. I mean, you know, it would definitely, uh, if they're going to, if they're going to move on from Mac Jones, they're going to have to replace him with somebody. So, yeah. But, it, but anyways, that's going to do it for us tonight. Uh, thank you, Alex, for joining me. Um, I know Lou had some other, uh, some other business to attend to. Uh, I'm sure yeah. uh, his, uh, his show will be back next week, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Steve, always a pleasure, man. Love, love calling him, man. Great show. All right. And uh, a reminder for Survivor fans, this upcoming Thursday night, the Survivor 44 recap show returns on the Missy AE podcast. So be sure to tune into that. And uh, anybody who hasn't done so yet can check the archives to blogtalkradio.com slash missyae or go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and any of the other major networks. uh, So everybody have a great Easter weekend, uh, a great rest of your Easter weekend, and we will see you guys next Saturday night for another edition of Sports Whispers Weekly.